Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Nebraska Public Media Sports brings you live coverage of the NSAA High School Baseball Championships from Werner Park in Omaha on Friday, May 17th. Catch the Class C game at noon Central, Class B game at 3.30 p.m. Central, and Class A at 7 p.m. Central on Nebraska Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hurt at Sports Radio. Here it comes. In there. And that does it. History in the desert. The Texas Rangers, for the first time ever, are World Series champs. And the celebration begins. Third base side of the mound. The dog pile as they jump up and down out of the dugout, out from the bullpen in right field. The Rangers celebrate. The Texas Rangers are World Series champs. 63 years is a long time to wait, but the Texas Rangers are World Series champions. It's my distinct pleasure to present the Commissioner's Trophy to Ray Davis, Neil Liebman, and Chris Young. Steve Reed, an excellent free throw shooter, will have the honor of shooting the technical. Look at here, look at here. Bobby Knight just threw his chair. Chair across the free throw lane. And I think uh, Fred We only got two people that are going to tell you I'm not going to be here. One is our SID and the other is me. Who the hell told you I wasn't going to be here? I'd like to know. Do you have any idea who it was? Yeah, I do. Who? I'll point them out to the online. They were from Indiana, right? No, they're not. No, weren't from Indiana, and you didn't get it from anybody from Indiana, did you? Could we please? No, I'll I'll handle this the way I want to handle it now that I'm here. You f***ed it up to begin with. Now just sit there or leave. I don't give a what you do. Now, back to the game. Welcome in. Good morning on a Thursday to Hurt At Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me. Hello. And we are live on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. I'm currently logging in, so that will be live on, live on YouTube. Oh, I'm live on YouTube And right Twitter now. as well. Yeah. There's no issue there. Andrew's got you covered. I put We're, the comb over today. Yeah? You yeah, did a nice little, little comb over. Is that is that uh just just feeling the feeling the comb over today? I was feeling the I was feeling the brush this morning. You know, normally I'm just like, hey, I'm gonna grab a hat, like make it easy on myself. I'm like, nah, I'll I'll dice it up a little bit. Change change the look up. I, I wore a uh a, a newish long sleeve that I got 
um, from uh, y- your local store. Uh, they don't sponsor with our show, so they don't get a <laughs> shout-out. And uh, until they do, you'll never know where I got this from. <laughs> yeah, the... Uh but I feel like I'm like all classed up for high school. Like this seems like very, I feel very high school today. Yeah, you're like taking class picture. Yeah. Just getting well, not really class picture, <laughs> like just more like, eh, I feel like this is what a high schooler would wear. <laughs> okay. There we go. We got Andrew dressed up as a, you know, we're a couple days after Halloween. You'd have to dress mm-hmm. up today. Yeah, that, that is true. Yeah. Um, I'm just kind of feeling, uh, feeling the education vibes today. Okay. Because uh, we all know Bob Knight was a huge supporter of, um, student athletes and uh the education off the court uh we know bob was uber successful when it came to coaching Mm -hmm. but the off the court stuff kind of gets like lost in the mix but if you really think about it like he was one of those coaches that always had a top tier graduation rate for his teams yeah so it's you you mentioned off court stuff the positive off the court stuff always gets lost Mm -hmm. right like the negative off the court stuff we remember and i mean rightfully so like it's bob knight's actually like a really unique um person for me because he embodies i think what a lot of our lives are closer to than than maybe we realize where you know, I think complicated is a good word for his legacy because there was some stuff that he did that he definitely should not have done, right? Like that's... Like it, what? <laughs> a lot of the hitting of people. Oh, you can't do that? <laughs> like, and it goes back to like the 70s. It wasn't like he just became a crotchety old man. Like he's kind of always been like this. But I also... It's a different ju- time, a different world. Yeah, but he kept doing it into like the 2010s. Yeah, unfortunately, it, uh, <laughs> you know, like it... What, what worked for him, right? And it was... And, you know, I... It's it's a he's a complicated guy because obviously he has this part of his personality that he had a really hard time controlling, but he also has this part of his personality where he obviously deeply cared about his players, and and the players love and adore him. Yes, uh, yes, and, and he was obviously very good at what he did in terms of coaching basketball. Um, stylistically, it's it's not something I would have probably wanted to play for, but it obviously worked for a lot of people, and and. I do think he was, you know, I think his his demeanor overshadowed a lot of the positive things about his life and what he cared about and the people he cared about. You know, like, I actually think he's a very similar figure to Bo Pelini. Like, <laughs> Bo you Pe- know, I actually, uh, I wrote that down. Like, he's, obviously he was way more successful than Bo Pelini, right? But Bo Pelini at Nebraska, at least, was was pretty darn successful especially considering the rest of the last 20 Mm -hmm. years in Nebraska football history but a lot of and ultimately for both people it's it was their demeanor that got them fired from the place that and that's why I made the correlation yeah and it's it's disappointing because I know for a fact that from people that know him that know that know him well that Bo Pelini is a very caring person and, and like his players love him yeah and his players love him and he like is I, I don't know him personally but <clears throat> that he is a genuinely good guy and that he just has this part of his personality that for some reason or another he's never been able to get his arms around really all it is is he's different he's not like your buttoned up head coach he was different it's the same thing with Bob Knight. Now, Bob Knight was extremely different. Yeah, and it but, crossed a line into other things. But, but if you think about it, he was one of the most 
respected individuals. Yeah, absolutely. Across the board in basketball. Absolutely. And I'm not just saying college basketball. I'm saying basketball. Yes, he had his antics. Mm-hmm. Yes, he may have potentially choked out one of his own players. Yes, he threw a chair across the floor, which is all you remember. That's all you remember yeah, seeing. Yeah, you remember the bad stuff. Do you remember a week ago, week and a half ago, you asked me, like, who's a coach I have an affinity yeah. for? And I said Bob Knight. Like a random like, coach. You were like, why? And I'm like, because I love watching his highlights. I love watching him throw a chair across the floor. Yeah. I love watching how spirited he was on the bench. And I loved seeing his team's success. Like, all in all, that's why I, I, I loved Bob Knight, because I didn't get to watch Bob Knight. Right. Like, he was yeah. so before my time that I only got to see the craziness after the fact. Just the aftermath of it all. Yeah. But if you, if you hear anything from college coaches, like we'll, we'll throw Coach K in there who played mm-hmm. and uh, Coach who played for Bob Knight and was Bob Knight was his mentor. Yeah. Uh, you have like Bill Self who, who would say good things about him. Steve Kerr said something really nice about him too when Steve Kerr was playing with the Bulls. Like there are so many, there are so many people out there that even though – like Bob Knight was this um, a little over-the-top individual, um, mm-hmm. could come off a little bit scary. He was so respected. So respected. Yeah. Like if he pulled you aside, you, you know you're getting six F-bombs in that, <laughs> in that three-sentence liner that he gave you. But you also know that you're going to take that away because of the prowess of that, that, that he kind of – built on his own like the the house that Bob Knight built mm-hmm. was so big and so large and so uh luxurious like he was 902 and 371 like yeah. that was his overall record he had 902 wins like this dude didn't lose often no he was the last guy to have an undefeated team in college basketball we've seen teams get close before, like nowadays, the entire way, including winning national championship. Like the 1976 whole was yep. the last time that a team went undefeated. Well, it was the 75 season, but 76 was the year that a team went undefeated and won the national title. Like Bob Knight won games. Mm-hmm. He got respect for winning games. Going back to your your point that you just made, Bo Pelini won games. He got respect for winning games. But what did they? What they gained by winning games? They lost. In their personality, yeah, and that's what that's what drove a ton of people away. Yeah, which I understand the people that it drove away, and I also understand the people that respect him immensely. Um, honestly, the the Bob Knight thing is, like I said, he's one of the most interesting characters, and I, I don't say that as a pejorative, just like as a, a personality throughout uh, at least modern sports history because of that dynamic, right? Because of the fact that. You know, he he almost seemed like he was two very different people depending on what kind of mood he was in. And maybe he was, right? Like it was a – but you mentioned the winning. The thing I saw yesterday that shocked me was I knew he had won three national titles. Obviously, we know know about the undefeated team in 76, which that's – we're going on 50 years now since somebody's done that. Carry the two. Almost. We're getting there. We're almost there. Few more years, we'll be at fifty. Square root, yeah. Um, and the the thing that shocked me that I read yesterday was three national titles, undefeated season, nine hundred wins, one NBA All Star. <laughs> 
He's only he, like that's the. Do you remember what he did in the Olympics? When he coached the Olympic team? Yeah, that was with, uh, like, in Jordan in, the, in 84. I think he was the coach. Do you coach remember who he said, yeah, you, my guy is starting over you? You know who, you remember who he said that to? No. Charles Barkley. Oh, that's right. That's right. John Stockton. Yeah. Like, he kicked off NBA All-Stars on that team yeah. to have his guys that no one even knew that just won him a national title, yep. right, uh, play in that spot. He, uh, the only NBA All-Star that ever played for him was Isaiah Thomas. Which, to win at that level, that consistently, and only have one, like, truly high-level player, had a bunch of guys that went on to play in the NBA, right? But look at North Carolina. All-stars on top of all-stars on top of all-stars. Duke, all-stars on top of, although less so than, like, a Carolina or Kansas, because a lot of Duke guys kind of flame out historically before the last, like, one-and-done stretch here. A lot of Duke guys flamed out in the NBA. And... But to look at all that success and have one NBA All-Star, I was, first of all, I was stunned by that. And secondly, it goes to show you the level of teacher and coach he was. Like, he was elite at the teaching of the game of basketball. There were a lot of things he didn't do as well. Press conferences was one of them, but <laughs> hey, I thought those were great. If you weren't in the room, you think those yes. are great. Yeah, if you were if in the room, in the room, you're sweating a little bit before you ask your question. Yeah, if you're not in the room and you're watching it like 20 years later, like yeah, they're terrific. But, but. I'd like to refer to this whole thing from start to finish as a real Mickey Mouse operation, but that'd be an insult to Mickey Mouse. <laughs> And he obviously had his like quips and, and anecdotes like that that'll probably live forever. The one that rings most true to me now is he's at a I think he was being honored in Indiana, I think it was before he got fired, and basically said, you know, when all this is said and done, I hope you bury me upside down mm-hmm. so my critics can kiss my ass. Mm-hmm. Um that one went around a lot yesterday. Did they follow through? I, I probably not, if I had to guess. <laughs> um but you know, he was a Obviously, one of the defining figures of basketball, I think, in history. I, like, I, I think you'd have a hard time telling the story of basketball without Bob Knight. Um, and maybe that's the, the biggest compliment you can pl- pay him. I will say, and I tweeted this out last night, Bob Knight is the owner, in my opinion, of the biggest flex in like history, at least sports history. In 1984, between the Olympics, when he was coaching that Olympic team and Michael Jordan and and all those guys you were talking about, and the NBA draft, he was telling anybody who would listen that he believed Michael Jordan was the greatest basketball player he had ever seen. Mm -hmm. Before Michael Jordan had played a single NBA game. And these GMs were like, yeah, we get that he's really good, but we need a center. That's why Sam Bowie got taken number two. Hakeem Olajuwon, like, I don't have an argument with that pick. Like, Hakeem's great, and they wanted a center. Who's that? He's, he's a little basketball player, played in Houston for a little while. Just a little guy? Yeah. Uh, well, Did he win, like, like, back-to-back MVPs? 6'9", 6'10", I think. So a little, a little undersized for a center at the time. But um, And so he's telling these GMs that he's going around, and he's saying, hey, you need to draft Michael Jordan, you need to draft Michael Jordan. And they're like, Bob, we need a center. And he's like, fine, play Jordan at center. (laughs) Like his conviction that Michael Jordan was that dude was unwavering. And it probably is the take that's aged the best of any take of all time. Uh, So I always will respect him for that. And and it kind of just goes to show you his like basketball IQ. Like there's, listen, a lot of people thought Michael Jordan was going to be good, but to 
at that point, he had already had a reputation as being like he didn't have to say something like that. He wasn't he wasn't a a commentator, talking head person at that point. He was a basketball coach. This dude didn't play for him mm-hmm. at Indiana. He was just like, no, that's the best basketball player I've ever seen. And you know what? That's just his eye for spotting talent. Yeah, and that goes back to your point of having one NBA All Star on his team. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't need a team of the most talented to win a national title. Mm-hmm. He just needed the right guys, the right fit. Who do we talk about uh, having the right guys and the right fit with all the time? A uh, little guy we like to call Coach Matt Rule. That is correct. Sometimes it's okay to not have the the top five stars, whatever, and not, obviously there weren't like star rankings way back when, Right. Uh, but people knew who, who the best were at that time. Yeah where they were going, who they were playing with and for. But you don't always need that. All you need is the right, the right program, the right chemistry, the right, uh, the right bodies in the room in order to reach a certain goal. And then a lot of that also falls on the coach mm-hmm. in order to lead them to get to that point. Bob Knight will go down as like a great coach, one of the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. There are some coaches, though, out there that are just pawns on a chessboard. Like, it, they're uh, in different spots. Mm-hmm. Like, if we really want to go down a list. Of, like, if you look in the NBA, there are, there are teams that you could probably point to right now where you're like, ah, you're more of like a pawn. You're not like the coach. Like, yeah, uh, when, yeah there's in cert- Milwaukee, like Giannis runs that organization. There are certain situations where the coach has dramatically less power than others. Yeah, right. Where LeBron goes, you probably don't have the greatest of power. Yeah, but then you got see like a lot of guys get lose their jobs. A Popovich or a Kerr who actually run those organizations, right. or yeah. um, Spolstra in Spolstra, Miami. Yeah, like, Spolstra's you, a great example. You have you have really good coaches that are going to go down as great coaches, mm-hmm. and then you have other ones that are just pawns. Yeah, they're like kind Bob of Knight placeholders. Will always sit in the greatest of coaches. Yeah, he he always will, will sit there with Coach K, uh, with Coach Calipari. Um, you know, like a, with like a ton a of Roy Williams, modern day coaches, Bill Self, those types of guys, um, they will fall into the Bob Knight category. Uh, the the guy, the thing that actually reminded me the most, though, you mentioned Matt Rule. The thing that I think reminds me the most between Bob Knight and Matt Rule, and this is not to say that they're terribly similar, because I don't think they are. I mean, if you watch Rule, they're personality-wise, I think they're pretty different. Really, <laughs> a little bit, um, but. The fact that I think they both know that they're going to ask and demand a lot of their guys, and so it's more important to have the guy they can ask and demand a lot of than the guy who might be 10% more talented, right? Like, I think Bob Knight firmly grasped that, and I think so does Coach Rule, where it's like, okay, I'm going to take this three-star guy instead of this four-star guy because I know that this three-star guy has the mentality to go through what I'm asking him to do. And if the four-star guy had it too, like, yeah, obviously you take the more talented version of that. But he's willing to sacrifice, I think, some top-end talent mm-hmm. in order to have the guy that he is confident can... You sacrifice talent for fit. Yeah, not, yeah not, and, and fit is more... I think when people say fit a lot, I think they think of, uh, like, scheme, right? That's what I mean a lot of the times when I say fit is, hey, wh- if you are running a certain scheme, you want a quarterback that can do X, Y, Z. You want linemen that can do xyz you want you know linebackers that have certain skill sets so a lot of times when you're talking about fit you're talking about scheme but what's maybe more important than the fit inside of a scheme is the fit inside of a culture 
right? The fit inside of, hey, if I ask you to do this, I know that you're willing to go that place with me. And that's what I think Coach Rule brings to the table. I think that's what Coach Knight brought to the table as well. Um, even though, obviously, from the outside, it's going to look really different, there is a lot of commonalities there in what they ask of their players and how they go get players because of that. Mm. There, there is a lot of truth to the 50-50 there, the way that you just described fit and scheme and fit and culture. Um, a lot of it goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, the, like, but there is a lot of truth to that. Oregon's a really good example of fit and scheme, right? Back in pre-Dan Lanning, so when you're going Chip Kelly, mm-hmm. Mark Helfrich, even you want to go back to uh, like Bilotti before that, is the fit and scheme allowed them to go get guys that were under-recruited because they knew they were going to be elite talents in their scheme. That, to me, is like a, a really good example of fit and scheme. And I think that's what a lot of times we default to when we're thinking about that. But if you're a guy like Coach Rule who doesn't really care what you run, he just wants to run. Like, I genuinely don't think Coach Rule has – like, we've seen it this year, right? He'll run whatever he has to run. But he can do that because of the fit and culture. Well, and I think fit and culture is, is kind of what we think most about, though, with Coach Rule. Yes. We don't really think of fit and scheme. Absolutely. Even in the offseason, we thought when, when we used the term fit, it was fit and culture. Yes. Maybe other places like fit and scheme make more sense. And I think even here before Coach Rule, like I think before Coach Rule got here, yeah, we talked about fit in terms of like, oh, you kind of have to like understand Nebraska and understand this is sort of a different place. But a lot of times, I know for me specifically, part of the thing that I had an issue with with Coach Frost was like, hey, I don't really feel like they've established an identity, so it's really hard to find guys that fit if you don't know who you are, right? But that's true of not just scheme, that's also true of identity. If you don't know the, or that's also true of culture. If you don't have the identity of the culture that you want to be, you can't find fit guys because you're just kind of throwing, you're just throwing darts, right? You're guessing. And that's something that Coach Knight never did was guess. Speaking of Knight, um, you know, can you remind me or at least tell me, mm-hmm. and I have the answer, but I want to know if you know it, why he was fired at Indiana. Like what, what they actually got him on. Not, yeah. not like everything that built up to it. Sure. What was the moment that they said, yeah, you're done? Yeah, I am trying to remember. And it's honestly, I don't remember if the exact moment. It, I remember it feeling at the time, because uh, this was 2000. Uh, right, he got fired in 2000, I believe. Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely, absolutely correct. I remember, you know, I was 12, 13 years old, so I had an awareness of what was happening. And I don't remember what the exact thing was. I just remember it feeling like uh, they've been trying to pin something on him for a while. So in 2000, Coach Knight was forced out of Indiana for violating a zero-tolerance behavior policy, which is Kind of funny because it seemed like a lot of the things he was doing could have fallen under that mm-hmm. zero tolerance policy. By grabbing the arm of a freshman student whom he said greeted him by his last name. Just Knight? <laughs> I, I, I don't know if it was just Knight. I don't know if he said Coach Knight, but can you imagine getting mad for somebody calling you by your last name? Especially like an old head. Like when you think about respect, like respecting you your think, elders, yeah. you would think saying their last name, Mr. Knight, or uh, unless he said, hey, Knight in shining armor or something like or that. Or if he just called him Knight and he's like, hey, it's Coach Knight, something like that. Uh-huh. Um, 
I thought he had grabbed someone. It's coach night to you. Yeah, I thought he had. I thought he had like grabbed someone either by the. Like, I thought he had grabbed him by like, the collar or something. That's a different incident, um, of the many. But uh, real quick before we uh, hop into the next segment here, my favorite Bob Knight memory randomly is actually from Texas Tech. ESPN had a reality show where he was letting a walk on on the team. And they, like, followed this process of the tryouts. And it was actually the most I ever respected Bob Knight because you got to see way more of him coaching than you ever had before and not just the antics. And it was actually kind of an incredible, like, especially in the early 2000s, like a really incredible sort of TV moment. Why do you fall in love with athletes? Because there's documentaries on them and you get their lives in your hands. Absolutely. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. I like to refer to this whole thing from start to finish as a real Mickey Mouse operation. But that'd be an insult to Mickey Mouse. I'll paraphrase Churchill a little bit uh, when he talked about the Battle of, of Britain. Never have so many uh, thought they knew so much and actually knew so little. I don't think I would ever qualify as a biblical scholar. I mean, that's what I get paid to do no motivational device i've ever come across is as good as this welcome back here to hurt at sports radio i'm ravi lula with andrew rogers we are live on am 590 espn omaha espn tri-cities twitter and youtube i finally got myself in the stream guys don't worry about it (laughs) Hello to all our friends in the stream. Hey, welcome. Appreciate you guys uh, listening along. Um, Let's set up the show real quick so I don't forget. Why? Well, you know, I like to tell people what's going on. Oh, really? Coming up here at 8 o'clock, John Fanta. He covers college basketball on Fox as well as the field of 68. Uh, Super excited to talk to John this morning as, man, we are not that far away from college basketball starting. Creighton's got their exhibition tomorrow. Uh, and then they kick off their season on Tuesday. On a Tuesday. On a Tuesday. I, I'm happy you uh, told me John Fant is on at 8 o'clock. I don't think I would have known otherwise. Yeah, see, Thank goodness well, we you're setting up the show. we got to let the people know. 845, we're going to try and win you some money with our guy Brian Edwards at Vegas Insider. And then at 9 o'clock, we will talk to our good friend Michael Brunts of Husker 24-7. And then we'll wrap up the show with Lil Hurt at Hot Seat today. Yeah, can't wait. Going back to uh, what you were saying going into the break, cause you said Texas Tech uh, was like your favorite story. It was a walk-on moment. Uh, yeah, they, ESPN did this reality show where they, I mean, he literally let walk-ons on the team, and they, they were on the team the whole year. I was trying to speed through what I meant, though, by documentaries and why people yeah. love like nowadays, yeah, love getting involved in people's lives. Like you know, you have the Captain documentary with Jeter. Mm-hmm. I just started watching Vic's documentary. Oh, I haven't uh, seen on, that one. On yet. Espen, uh, you have. Uh, I just watched the Beckham the last one. Dance. Yeah. You're watching the Beckham one. You get all of these things where you're like a, doing a deep dive into into that person's life, mm-hmm. and you kind of feel like a part of it now. Mm-hmm. And that's why you were saying you like Coach Knight because. Yeah. It, you got to see more of his actual coaching and and more how, of his personality. How how he yeah personality and winning process though yeah. and and then that gate that probably gave you a lot of respect for him too based on what you know about him on paper. You got to see it in in, in real life and you know that the reason I bring that up too is. We live in a society where everybody wants to be nosy in each other's bit in each other's business in, e- 
in each other's lives because of social media, because uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. You see photos posted, videos mm-hmm. posted. Uh, Robbie's at a wedding last weekend. <laughs> Shane's doing a backflip. Like, there are things that you're just like, wow, like that. I, I just kind of liked experiencing that moment with you. Mm-hmm. Oh, and so, on, documentaries. Jane kind of make us feel like it, it's it's social media on the TV. It's a social media long-form story. Yeah. And, and that's why, as, as people, as sports fans, as fans of just either a game, a uh, person, or, or a literal um, team, it, that's why y- you get that feeling, that, that, uh, that butterfly-ish feeling in your stomach where you're just like, wow, like I, I, I'm, I'm one in this moment. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's connection, right? We want to feel connected through social media. We want to feel connected. It's con- why we love GBR Rewind. Yeah, because we uh, feel connected Nebraska. to Coach Rule and the team in a way that we wouldn't otherwise. You know, social media allows us to feel connected to, you know, people we went to high school with, or people we went to college with, or maybe people we don't stay in touch with as much as we used to. We feel connected to them in a way that we wouldn't otherwise. We, that same thing with documentaries. Like, the reason I like The Last Dance is it's the most human I have ever seen Michael Jordan. That is the most, like, honest, least buttoned up that I've ever seen Michael Jordan. And I loved that. And I love Michael Jordan. I've always loved Michael Jordan. But to see him as an actual human being for the first time was incredible. Like, that was so valuable to me because it's like, oh, I actually – because there's been times, especially, you know, he had the Hall of Fame speech, which was kind of like, eh, this guy's kind of like seems like a bitter old man a little bit. And to actually see him like human and a person that I'm like, yeah, I actually like that guy, not just the basketball player, was really, really cool. And that's what I got out of that documentary with Bob Knight because you – especially at that age, right, because that was 2000 – is when he got fired from Indiana. I think this happened in like 2002, 2003. It was one of his first mm-hmm. years in Indiana. He or at, at Texas Tech. So you're talking like a pre-social media world. So you're not seeing videos like the GBR rewind stuff of Bob Knight at Indiana or Texas Tech. You don't know a whole lot about him except for hey, he's won a lot of basketball games and he's a little crazy, right? Like that's all you really knew about this guy. And so to find like to get more information about him as a person who he actually was as a coach and because I, I had a really hard time understanding before that why players liked him I was like I wouldn't like this guy he's yelling at people all the time he's grabbing people by the collar he's pushing people around I don't want to deal with that and to be honest that's probably still not the kind of coach I gravitate to but at least after I saw the documentary I understood why I understood there was more to him um, and so I, I love sports documentaries for that purpose um, and man you mentioned that GBR Rewind the clip of him in the locker room. And the one circling social media right now. Yeah, was man. powerful. And so we can get to the other stuff with it. But one Shane of the, has the clip. One of the first things I thought was, what did Ethan Piper's mom say? Because <laughs> yeah. she wasn't mic'd up or anything. Yeah, well, because she said turn off the camera. Yeah. Like, and, and, was, and so uh, whoever edits the videos, I can't remember the film guy's name, but he just took down her volume and then raised it back up. Yeah. Reaction. And I looked at her and so and it like pans over to her. And so you see her. And My guess like, is there had to be an expletive. It had to said. be. It had to be. Uh, she's an offensive lineman's mom. You know, she's salty, right? Like that. <laughs> she's got to be. Uh, Shane, do you want to play that clip? Do you have it? Now, as we walk out this tunnel, man, as we walk out this tunnel for the first time, the University of Nebraska, we, we have a pink ribbon on the back of our helmets. And obviously, that's that's for all the, the wives, the moms, the sisters that have been affected by breast cancer, man. But it's, it's even greater than that. It's a way for us to honor 
those in our lives, our mom, our grandma, our, our girlfriend's mom, our aunt, the people in our lives who have fought for us. Because ain't none of us here of our own accord. Picking you up, taking you to school, fighting for you, taking a second job, battling, maybe keeping you away from the hard things in your life. She took it on so that you could just be a kid. Who is that for you? Who is that for you? Maybe it was your dad. Maybe it was a coach. But men, they fought for you. They were warriors for you. These women that fight this, this battle, they're warriors. I saw it with my mom. I saw, I, I watched my mom battle breast cancer. I saw my mom fight. I watched my wife's mom fight. Knowing she probably was never even gonna win the fight. Knowing that eventually she'd be up in heaven. Man, she, she was just fighting for 10 more minutes with her grandkid. 10 more minutes. She taught me how to fight. Who taught you how to fight? Who taught you how to be a warrior? A warrior doesn't need a weapon. A warrior is the weapon. You guys are warriors. You've been taught to fight. So as you take that field, fight for yourself, fight for what you want, fight for each other, but just remember who went to war for you in your life. Remember the woman that went to freaking war for you in your life, who sacrificed for you in your life. And whatever your job is today, standing there and cheering or catching a touchdown, man, do it without fear. Because every single day that my mom woke up fighting that battle, she had to do it with all the fear in the world, but put it aside to make sure my ass was good. That's who I go fight for today. As you walk up that tunnel, you see the ones that you love, look them in the eye. Don't tell them you love them. They're not here to watch you win. They're here to watch you play. They're here to watch you be you. And some of us don't have our moms here. I don't have my mom here. My mom's watching somewhere across the country. She's going to feel my joy. Some of us don't have our moms alive anymore, or grandma, whatever. That's my wife. But she's going to honor the way that her mother taught her to fight. This ain't emotional. This is joy, man. We're here because of the ones that love us. So if, if you don't have family here today, walk by my wife, walk by, by my daughters. You got family. If you don't have someone here today, this is Piper's here. Her son's not here, but she's here for us. Us. One word for Miss Piper. Give one word. She said tacos after the game for everybody if they win. I'll say orange slices are in the car, kids. <laughs> uh, no. I need to know what I need to know what Mrs. Piper said. That, that is that <laughs> is such a moving a moving pregame speech before Purdue, and that's not even like a lot of it is. Um, you know the messages for breast cancer, yeah, uh, Pink October, but uh, think about it as more of. It, 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 it's everybody was affected by cancer in, in some way, shape, or form in their life. They know somebody, a family member, a friend, whoever was affected uh, by that um, satanic disease. And, you know, the ability for Coach Rule to, like, stand there and, and, and put together those words, like, I'm having trouble putting together words right now about it. <laughs> we'll get to that more coming up next on Hard Out Sports Radio. You heard at Sports Radio. 
wrapping up hour number one here on Herd Out Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula with Andrew Rogers. We are brought to you by our friends at Dingman's Collision Center. They've got four great Omaha area locations. They've been in business, family owned and operated for 25 years. And they have been first place best of Omaha for the last 18 years running because not only do they have the latest technology to work on any make and model, they also give back to the community. Make sure you check them out at dingmans.com for more information. Um, want to get back to that Coach Rule video, that clip mm. that we played right before the break, you know, and, and you mentioned, you know, Coach Rule makes it more about about more than just breast cancer. And the thing that, that really got to me was not just kind of, you know, because, you know, the Creighton, when they do their pink out, they, mm-hmm. they make it about all types of cancer and things like that, even though specifically yeah, it's, The World know, Series um, did the I stand up for cancer. Yeah, and that's a very similar uh, moment that the – that Creighton does, even though it kind of originates with breast cancer, they kind of expand it out to, mm-hmm. to all cancer, and they do the um, fundraiser for the American Cancer Society Hope Lodge um, down on Dodge Street. Uh, but what I thought was really interesting about the way, and this is kind of just a credit to the way Coach Rule communicates and connects with people and, um, and just his ability to m- make a message that matters to everyone is he took it even further to like it's not just you know maybe maybe not that many people in your life or anybody super close to you has had cancer but it's about the people that fight for you right because that at the end of the day like when you're dealing with like a a mom or a a spouse or a grandma or whoever that has cancer one of the things you admire most about them is the fact that they're fighting right that they're fighting not just for themselves they're fighting for the people around them they're fighting Mm -hmm. for the people they love and Coach Rule kind of got down to that core of what really moves us about these people that are fighting through these things and brought that to the team in a way of like, hey, maybe you don't know anybody that's had cancer, but you know somebody that's fought for you. You know you wouldn't be here unless somebody had fought for you. Um, And it's, I mean, just to be able to communicate that to a group of, uh, of college guys and to... You know, it's kind of like a, a, a f- it's a funny fine line for me because it would be really easier in that easy in that moment to get emotional, kind of in the wrong way, right? Like to get kind of work, like kind of choked up and things like that. But he like rides that line of like reaching into your like heart and core, and instead of letting it be like, ah, oh, yeah, hey, that's kind of a a, a sad or emotional thing you turning it to inspire you and to fire you up, and like that's not easy to do. Like that's a tough subject matter to kind of navigate and still bring it to a place where, hey, now you want to go fight. Now you want to go mm-hmm. uh, run through that wall for, for whoever fought for you. Um, and, you know, I, I got to give credit to Mrs. Piper, too. We don't know what she said, <laughs> but that clearly set off a fuse on him, too. So maybe it was about the orange slice. Right. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, so there was um, – there's a lot of, like – there's a lot of um, points in that speech that – that kind of had my brain going a ton of different directions. You're right, though. It's hard to turn um, like a somber point into inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did a great job doing that. But I also think that's such an attention getter for those guys, too. Yeah. When, when you start uh, on something that is a, a little sadder. Uh, but can turn it into something that's motivating. Mm-hmm. Um, and Coach Rule 
uh, he just knows how to do that. Yeah, he's a master. And, and at I it. think that also has a little bit to do uh, with his upbringing, uh, because. Uh, seeing his dad as a pastor, like pastors have to do that a lot, mm-hmm. um, or, or you know whoever is uh, your, your speaker at at a church service, like that is, th- those are the things that you kind of have to tie into different messages. So I think he he gained really good public speaking skills just by learning from his dad and and going through life that way. But the other point of that speech was uh, that stuck out to me is. Like, you talk about fighting for somebody, but the the sacrifices that he's talking about that these women do in our lives. Mm-hmm. Like, the love from your mom to you is so different mm-hmm. than any other love that you can experience, ever. Like, I, I am such a mama's boy for that reason. <laughs> I am. Like, the love that my mom has for me, I know what it is, but I could never recreate it. Sure. As a guy, I could not recreate a woman's love because it's just it, it, there were two different personalities. And I, I talk about that with Ashley all the time mm-hmm. on how like the nurturing side of things goes so much more to the women in our lives than it does for me because I, I'm just not good at that. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually think guys themselves aren't good at that. But women are so good, which... That's what he talks about with sacrifice. Like, my mom puts love over anything else in her life, mm-hmm. over anything. The love of her kids, the love of God, the love of her husband. Love supersedes everything in her life. And I admire that the most. And that's what makes me want to love. Sure. Right? Yeah. The, that, that's what gave me, you know, every ability to... When I am when I am treating a girl through like when I'm dating girls in high school like how I treat people mm-hmm. um, like same thing in college like it, I was never the type of guy that would just like go off and, and and mess around and do things because like that's not the love that was taught to me mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of what Coach Rule is, is saying to these guys is there's somebody out there that is that to you whether yeah. that's your mom whether that's an aunt whether that's a grandmother there is somebody out there. That is that person to you that sacrificed things for you. And he, he's using that point and can apply it to a ton of different backgrounds, mm-hmm. to a ton of different demographics. Because guys, guys are picked up from all over the country. You yeah. don't know what their life was like before they got to Nebraska. But when you get to Nebraska, you're all brothers. And maybe you find out about it. Maybe you don't. But you just know that everybody has a different background. And that love that, that is sparked um, f- from somebody in your personal life, like that's who you go out and fight for on the field every day. And that's what he's referring to. It doesn't have to be even about breast cancer in that moment. Yeah. It's just about love. Yeah, and that's the that to me is the impressive kind of part about the the leap that he took from, hey, yeah, we've got the pink we've got the pink ribbon on our helmets and and you know, that's where this starts, but that's not where it finishes, right? And yeah, I, I think there's a you know, I, I know for me personally and for a lot of people uh, whether it's your mom, whether it's both your par- both your parents, like the sacrifice. I don't. I didn't realize until I was a lot older the sacrifices that were made on my behalf, right? Because a lot of times when you're a kid, you just don't get it, right? You just think, oh, you know, that's what parents do or whatever. And then you meet people who that's not what their parents mm-hmm. did. Like that's where it that's really like some some parents are both working. Yeah, one parent to stay at home mom. Well, and not even just that, but like there's some some people just don't have good family lives, right? Some people have have a tough relationship with their parents. And I don't think mm-hmm. I realized how much 
my parents sacrificed for my benefit and until I met some of those people in my life where it's like, oh, their parents didn't do that. Their parents didn't have that. They didn't have that same relationship with their parents. And that's kind of where I appreciated it even more because it was like, okay, not only did they sacrifice those things for me, but they never would have let me know. Like they never would have even hinted that it was a sacrifice because of that love that you're talking about. Like my mom, when I was a kid, um, when I got diagnosed with diabetes, I was seven years old. My doctor was like insistent that I test my blood sugar in the middle of the night to make sure I was okay. Cause that's kind of a dangerous time for diabetics cause you don't have, you're not monitoring anything, right? This is before, uh, continuous glucose monitors and stuff came out where you could monitor your blood sugar 24 seven. So for years, my mom would wake up at three o'clock in the morning. She'd set an alarm, wake up at three o'clock in the morning, come in, test my blood sugar without ever waking me up, test my blood sugar. If it was okay, she'd go back to sleep, leave me alone. If I needed something, if I needed a shot or if I needed some food or whatever, that's the only time she would wake me up is if, if she had to give me a shot, she'd give me the shot without waking me up. That's crazy. If I, the only time she woke me up is when I needed food and I had to eat and she couldn't physically feed me while I was asleep still, right? Like she did that for years. I can't imagine waking up in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night for years to do something like that. And she never has brought it up. The only reason I know it happened is because I remember the handful of times where I had to wake up and eat something in the middle of the night because my blood sugar was low. It's like, has never brought it up. It's never been a thing. And I think back on it, I was like, that must have been miserable. Mm -hmm. And that's how I know too, that when you become a parent, mm -hmm. it's a different kind of love. It, because it's, it starts when you're a baby because you're doing all of that stuff. Right? Yeah. You have to get up in the middle of the night to right. tend to your baby. Yeah, but she, the fact that, uh, you know, sh she made that such a point for, for you to do um, or for her to do for mm -hmm. you and not even disrupt yeah. you in that moment either. Uh, I mean, that just – that's a good it's just being a good parent like yeah she, and like she's just a really good parent for doing that it would have been really easy and really reasonable for her to just make sure i was up and make sure i tested and do, do so i could do these things for myself right and eventually i did as i got older but as i was like seven eight nine ten years old those first few years that i was diagnosed she did it every day and like i man i like it's stuff like that when when coach rules having this speech about like Think about the, the, the people that have fought for you. Uh, you know, think about the women that have fought for you to, to get you to where you are here today. Like, my mom is where I learned how to fight. My mom is where I learned how to love. My dad's where I learned how to work hard. My dad's where I learned how, not that my mom didn't work hard too, but like that was one of the examples that my dad set. And, you know, showing people you love them through how you work for them and things mm -hmm. like that as well. But like... Like Coach Rule said, like that's where I learned how to fight because I was like, if my mom's willing to fight for me in that moment, then I've got to be willing to fight for myself as well. Yeah, you know, it's, it's going to be a shame if they stop doing pregame speech stuff, halftime speech stuff like this in Lincoln. Uh, I know Coach Rule doesn't want to continue it after this season. <laughs> He's got to continue. He's like, got These videos have to keep going. Please give us little you, snippets. Well, and not only that, like – there are people across the country now recognizing this. Like RG3 yeah. retweeted that out. video yep. yesterday. Like these are things that is, is such a recruiting tool for one, yeah. but also just it, it puts good spotlight on Nebraska. People want this. You got to keep doing it. For the love of God, tell us what Mrs. Piper said. <laughs> 
You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. In, in my entire adult life, I've never used the expression game face. So I have no idea what it means or what you're supposed to mm-hmm. But again, before you interrupted me, what I, uh, what, and you have a real faculty for doing that. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. No, I don't think it's anything to really be too proud of myself. Uh, I think I, I when I talked about, about Pat. Bob, you came here to do an interview. I'm asking you questions. When I talked, well, then let me finish the answer. Okay. Is that okay, go Jeremy? Ahead. Is that fair enough? Please go right Have ahead. I interrupted your questions yet? Yes. No, I haven't. You've interrupted my answers with your questions, and then I've tried to get back. So Please let me continue. finish this. An icon. Yeah. An uh, absolute icon. That is a Bob Knight, Jeremy Schapp interview that awkward, <laughs> but kind of funny. Uh, we are brought to you right now as we kick off hour number two by our friends at Pratt Dental. Dr. Pratt is the first dentist in Nebraska to provide the BioClear method. Uh, they are located in North Platte, Nebraska. Uh, The BioClear method, if you're not familiar, can correct many aesthetic dilemmas in a permanent and less invasive manner than traditional treatments such as crowns. Pratt Dental, reach them, you can be reached, excuse me, Pratt Dental can be reached at (laughs) 308-221-2800. Pratt Dental, creating healthy smiles. Had a little tongue twister there for no apparent reason. Uh, Joining us now on the Warhorse Sportsbook Hotline is our friend John Fanta. He covers college basketball on Fox as well as the field of 68. John, how are you this morning? I am doing great, guys. It's great to see you. This means that the season is about to begin. Uh, We are four days away, five nights away from the season opener over in Omaha uh, for the Creighton Blue Jays. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the Huskers opening up next week as well. But, gentlemen, we're 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 just four for others five nights away from college basketball starting. So, to answer your question, <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> hey, John, how many hotels are you prepared to stay in this season? Because you're all, it seems like you're already in one right now. <laughs> so I'll tell you what. Um. I can't tell you. I, I don't know how much I annoy front desks, but I have a confession to make. I always ask for a blanket. Really? I always ask for a blanket, yes, because in the six to nine hours that I'm in the hotel room during this time of year, I'm a bear in hibernation. <laughs> Why don't you bring your own blanket? Why do you trust the you hotel know, I blanket? I don't know about that. I, I – <laughs> I don't know. You know, you bring your own blanket. It's I, I just think that's too much going on. I'm not going camping. You, know? <laughs> you got to travel light, John. You got to travel light. You're not going that's camping, right. but you that's may be right. going it's cave right. hunting. <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly. Right. Uh, how many hotels do I stay in? Wow. I, I, it's, I don't know. I mean, to answer your question, Andrew, I, I really don't. I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I'll tell you, in my visits to Nebraska, the hotel scene is good. All right. Um, it's it's strong. I, I you know, particularly the downtown Omaha scene is is uh strong. That Marriott is not to do free promotion. It's it's uh, <laughs> very good and there there's another property in downtown that's newer that I that I stayed in a couple of years ago. It's really, really nice. So I, I like him. You know, I the the nice thing about a lot of a lot of what I do, I mean, you guys know I, I, I cover a lot of the big east. Mm-hmm. I say this to people all the time. 
What's great about that league, it's not a fly and drive league. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a fly to a city and stay in the city. <laughs> you don't have to go outside of a town. So uh, I'm I'm okay with the hotel seat. <laughs> I was gonna say, John, Big East is one of the only college conferences in the country where you're not dealing. I mean, like I know we've heard nightmare stories about trying to get to like State College, Pennsylvania, and places like that. I mean, the Big East. You're talking Omaha might be the smallest city. I think. Omaha, I think, is the smallest city in the Big East. Pretty close to it. Yeah, I I would say it. it it's but you know what, Omaha is not. It, it I don't look at it that way. Sure, yeah. At all. I mean, great restaurant scene, great like elite bar scene. Um, I I think Omaha. I think the world of Omaha. I mean, I, I it's an awesome, awesome host. Uh, area and you know i'd be lying to you guys if i said i haven't tried my my chances at the local slots (laughs) (laughs) me too and and other gaming so if you're a fan and you're ever you know if you're ever hanging out and you see me at a casino feel free let's play let's win together uh say less (laughs) what's that i said say less yeah i'm all in for that uh but i'll tell you what omaha I, i it's a great city and uh Many a night at the Crescent Moon for me. <laughs> well, John, my wife works in the uh, restaurant industry in Omaha, so we might have to go uh, explore the restaurant scene together in Omaha next time you're in town. Yeah, that that's what I'm talking about, Robbie. That, <laughs> that's going to happen. Mark it down. I'm all in to join you. Now, John, uh, you know, before we get into college basketball questions, and, of course, we want to get deep into the Big East, um, you know, uh, I want to start here because we we let off the show with it. Uh, I feel like most, uh, you know, sports shows across the country, afternoon shows yesterday, all um, hit on Bob Knight, one of the greatest and most well-known college basketball coaches all time. On and off the court, though, John, how would you describe Bob Knight's legacy? Well, let's start with on the court and, and who he was as a winner. And that's where you have to start because 902 victories, sixth all time in college basketball history, three national championships at Indiana. Now, let's paint it for what it is. The reason why Indiana is ever brought up as one of the main brands in college basketball is Bob Knight. When you think of people synonymous with a program, Mm -hmm. Bob Knight is in a class of his own with where he stands in Indiana basketball history. And you know why I say that? Because his life was very controversial. His legacy is very controversial. Uh, The fact is, he let his anger get to him at times that ended up costing him from having an even larger legacy. It's amazing when you think about the fact that this is a man who was removed from his job at Indiana for doing some things with a, a, a player that, that you simply can't do as a coach. Uh, you, you, know, you can't touch your, can't physically contact your players. And, and a student uh, on the campus of, of the university. And that that was able to be Mended 
by the school was approving and okay with him coming back as much as he did after that fact, once the, the, the quote-unquote dust cleared. Mm-hmm. And, and that last night, when tributes are pouring in for him, you, you know, as journalists or as broadcasters, as reporters, we have to talk about the, the tough stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I would think that my takeaway from last night is, at the end of the day, whether you loved Bob or whether you didn't like Bob, what you could say about Bob is that his basketball knowledge and will to win was a standard setter in a sport that is rich with them. Bob Knight is one of the absolute greatest winners. And at the same time, one of the most intimidating figures in sports history. For him particularly, it's in that intimidation that he willed his teams to win. Uh, we're talking with John Fanta, covers college basketball on Fox as well as the Field of 68. Really good stuff there about Bob Knight. Um, let's move on to the Big East here. That's kind of where we live, obviously. Um, you know, I've said many times that I think Creighton this year, because of fit with some of the guys that have left and that are re- they're being replaced with, could actually be a little bit better than last year's team. Now, what does that look like in March? I don't know. But I think in the regular season, they could be a better basketball team. Is that a hot take or is that a reasonable take? I think it's a reasonable take. I like this team's pieces Mm -hmm. even more than I like last year's pieces. Now, just because you have pieces that we like more doesn't mean that you're going to be sitting in a regional final. Things have to align sometimes. You know, you, you, you became fortunate to face a 15 seed, mm-hmm. right? Nothing wrong with that. You won those games. You, nobody's going to take that away from you at all. It was a, it's, it's the greatest season in program history, mm-hmm. right? Going to that Elite Eight. The, the other time that Creighton was in it, there were only eight teams in the tournament, <laughs> as Craig McDermott brings up, and he's absolutely right. For me, though, guys, at times last year, like, Creighton still lost 13 games. Mm-hmm. And they went through a, a very rough spell last year. And the reason for that was, one, Ryan Kalkbrenner mm-hmm. and the illness that he dealt with. But the other one is, they weren't moving the ball. Mm-hmm. Because guys were out to get theirs. And I'm going to peek behind the curtain here and, and give you guys something that I, 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 I think is revealing. But I'll be quite honest with you guys. A couple of players on on that team that then were aspiring to you know, go to the next level, mm-hmm. all right, or or to transfer, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we know who those kids are, and they leave a legacy at Creighton. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to take away anything from from them, all right, but I will say to you guys on this show that that one of one of those guys during the season. And then following the season, I was getting text messages from people in his circle of them telling me all the things that he does in the game, all of his stats, and how he, and and how we the media should be co- should be projecting him on social media and in our coverage about his pro prospects. Hmm. 
I got to be honest with you guys. I don't get, we don't get that with a lot of players. Mm -hmm. It's not wrong. It's not right. I'm not here to, to, to criticize, but I did feel like that at times last year, there were, there were certain elements of that Creighton team where guys got to get theirs. Mm -hmm. Guys got to get theirs. And as a result, the system, the offensive philosophy that Greg McDermott has succeeded so much in sometimes became, I, I, I've got to stop here. I've got to get mine. And the ball stopped. And that wasn't Creighton basketball. So that team was great. That team ended up being great. Mm -hmm. But this team's not losing 13 games. Uh, they, they, they are not. They are not because Stephen Ashworth, a 23-year-old point guard from Utah State, comes in and understands mm -hmm. his role of setting up the players around him while also contributing a lot. But when you have Baylor Shireman and Trey Alexander, two of the best shot makers in college basketball, you got to get them the ball. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't agree more. Uh, I could not agree more. John, you know, it's funny you tell that story about, you know, a player's um, people around them messaging you and stuff like that because I have a feeling it's the same player that uh, slid in my DMs last year as well. So I'm I'm right there with you and can corroborate the, the strangeness of some of the uh, things going on last year. Uh, but you mentioned Stephen Ashworth. I, I think one of the things, just from a pure basketball standpoint, that I like the most about the change from Ryan Nemhard to Stephen Ashworth, you mentioned getting Baylor Shireman and Trey Alexander the ball. Does Do you think, and you mentioned the ball stopping, do you think the fact that Ashworth is a much better pure shooter than Nemhard allows the ball to be in Shireman and Trey Alexander's hands a little bit more? Because Shireman was a true point guard at SDSU, and Trey Alexander probably needs to show some point guard skills for the next level. Um, how much do you think that makes them more difficult to defend? Because instead of having Ryan Nemhard having the ball 90% of the time, you've got three different guys that you have to worry about in that sense. That's exactly it. And, and Ashworth does shoot the basketball at a high level. And as a result, you're, you're exactly right. You've got to account. It's really hard for an opposing defense because you're going to have to play pick your poison a little bit. You're talking about three guys that are going to shoot 40% or better from three. Mm -hmm. So you've got to hope one of them's having an off night and almost pick that person. As much as an, a team on offense picks a hot hand, you have to identify who you're willing to, to bet on that could have a cold hand on a given night. But but to me, Greg McDermott made a, a really interesting point last week at Big East Media Day that Stephen Ashworth understands that when he gives up the ball, he might not get it back. Mm -hmm. That's a really interesting quote from a, from a coach because everybody in 2023 wants the ball. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants the ball. And, and Ashworth knows who's around him, and he doesn't take it personally. Mm -hmm. but, but you're right. I mean, the fact that they could, if they want to get creative, that Trey Alexander, he can handle it. He's an NBA player. Mm -hmm. He's going to be an NBA player, and he's only gotten better. The way that the staff talks about his work rate and, mm -hmm. the, and his toughness and the way he's evolved, th those are things that stand out. He's not the same guy as last year which was already a really good player. Mm -hmm. So that's what makes them more dangerous is, is Nemhard sometimes his shots would come and go. There's no denying what kind of a, a lead ball handler he was and, and the leadership that he provided. And he'll provide that for Mark Few and Gonzaga. Mm -hmm. But 
to me, Stephen Ashworth is a guy who who's he's just he's cut from the same cloth as Mitch Ballock. Yep. With his demeanor, with his uh, fit, sometimes there are transfers, and, and I'll say sometimes it's actually rare mm-hmm. that you say about a transfer that's twenty three. Oh my gosh. Has he been with this program for five years? <laughs> yeah. But Ashworth is like that for this team. He feels and like a Creighton guy. He feels like a Creighton guy, and 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 Nemhard did too. Yeah. But but to me, I, I I think that these pieces are going to fit into place better. And, and the thing is, guys, at the end of the day, when you have a uh, rim protector and a negator from fifteen feet and in, that wins a lot of games mm-hmm. for you. Ryan Kalkbrenner doesn't even get discussed enough nationally, and he's getting discussed mm-hmm. more. But mm-hmm. but that guy is as good as any big in America. A difference maker, 100%. You made me laugh yesterday too, John, because um, yeah, I can't remember which show it was, but T.O. claimed the ACC was the second-best conference in college basketball, and it seemed like that hit you personally. Well, he was just wrong. <laughs> that was a... It's a violation. You know, I just, uh, my God, I'd like to think that was a preview of Thanksgiving tables in America every week, but I couldn't take it. I, I, I could not take it. I wasn't good. Here's the deal. If you're saying that you think the ACC is going to be better than people expect, I'm not going to sit here and disagree with you. I think North Carolina will have a redemption season with Armando Baycott back. I think Virginia's getting undervalued heading into this season. I, I actually think uh, Virginia Tech is a team that's going to surprise. I think Syracuse will be better with Judah Mintz and JJ Starling who transferred in. So I, I'm like I don't I don't mind the idea that the ACC could be better than people think because we put them down so bad mm-hmm. um, as a as a as the outsiders as the people who cover the sport in recent years because they deserved it. Yeah. But but if you're if part of your argument is yeah the Big East is overrated what on earth are you discussing <laughs> I mean, that, that is that to me is absurdity I, like I, I'm gonna tell it like it is if a league's not very good I'll tell you the Big East is is poised for an okay year you guys have had me on we we we're gonna tell it like it is mm-hmm. uh, outside of DePaul who who still is at the bottom and 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 is firmly at the bottom I don't think there's any there's no bad team in this league. Mm-hmm. And, and we're, we're saying bad. When I say bad, I'm saying like sub-120. Yeah. I think every other team in this league is is capable of a, of a really good night to great night. And St. John's, for the longest time, has been the wild card. Oh, uh, I... I don't mean to be uh, – uh, I, I would be very, very candid here. I made this reference, okay? <laughs> In the last 10 years before this, St. John's basketball has been like having an alcoholic drive you home. <laughs> Why on earth? You don't know where the you, – you, first off, you should never have that happen. And secondly, you don't know where the car's going. Yeah. Okay? You don't know where – we have no – we've had no idea – it's a risky, risky. It's been a, it's been a program. You can't, you cannot bet on anything they're going to do. Mm-hmm. You have no idea what they're going to do. Well, they finally switched out and said, "We got to get this right." 
guys, he, they lost a, a, an exhibition game this past weekend. They were missing over half their team. Mm-hmm. Rick Patino is going to win at St. John's. He makes them more competent than they've been in the last 10 years. Creighton now has to, when they go out to St. John's, it's no longer, yeah, Creighton, they'll probably win that game. It's more, oh, God, that's going to be a challenging game. Mm-hmm. You haven't been saying that before with St. John's. And he overhauled the roster. Jordan Dingle, Joel Soriano are going to shine. Marquette's one of the best teams in the country. Creighton's one of the best teams in the country. UConn's still one of the best teams in the country. And they're the reigning national champions, and I, I don't feel like, you know, we're talking about Marquette and Creighton first in the Big East, and rightly so, but they're the reigning national champions. Villanova crushed it in the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. That, that, team's, that team, to me, if they fail, there's ser- got to be serious questions asked of the head coach. Mm-hmm. Providence has Bryce Hopkins and Devin Carter. Those are two all-league players. The question is, can Kim English weave it together? And I don't think Seton Hall is as bad as people are saying because Kadari Richmond's still there. Dre Davis is still there. Alamir Dawes is still there. And they brought in Dylan Adewusu from St. John's. Mm-hmm. You go, Xavier has Sean Miller, and we haven't even said their name yet. <laughs> That's a great point. You're telling, you're telling me the Big East is, is, uh, is going to be weak or is, is going be, to be weaker than the ACC? <laughs> Come on. What, what was what – was, Child, please. Child, please. What was T.O. drinking the other morning? He lives down in South Carolina. I know he's got some moonshine down there, but don't start it. Don't start at 9 a.m. John, I did want to. I did want to talk to you about uh, UConn real quick. Um, I mean, we could probably go like another hour with you, but we won't do that. Um, I wish. I know. Uh, I want to talk about UConn because, as you mentioned, they are a little bit of an afterthought after Marquette and Creighton this year, but they are the defending national champion. They have pieces that a lot of people like, but they do lose key pieces from last year's national championship team. What are your expectations for them in being able to replace like a Sonogo and a Hawkins? I know people like Jordan Klingon, but um, obviously there's just you're asking a lot more of him this year than was asked of him before. Well, I, I think that Donovan Klingon's poised to be that guy for mm-hmm. his team. Obviously, he's been dealing with a foot injury the last four weeks. I think he'll be back at some point, whether it's game one or game three. I don't think he'll miss any major time. Mm-hmm. But for me, what UConn's success comes down to is can Tristan Newton continue to be the stabilizer he is at point guard? Will Stefan Castle live up to the hype? Five-star recruit. Oh, He's a he's a high, high-level recruit who, who can make a bunch of – Things happen for his team. Physical guard. He's physically ready for the NBA. Mm-hmm. Shot-making guard. I love the kid. Cam Spencer comes in from Rutgers. High-level sharpshooter. Mm-hmm. Hit a lot of big shots in the Big Ten. Nebraska fans know that. Uh, to me, um, you know, he. this is a guy that, that really fits the UConn system like a glove. He's an ultra-competitor. Alex Caravan is very steady. I think for UConn, it's developing a seven- to eight-man rotation. Last year's team was so successful because they had unbelievable depth. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable depth. They could go from Sonogo to Klingon. They could go from Hawkins to Nahim Aline. This year's team, I, I'm a little bit questioning of their depth because they're going to rely on freshmen to provide it, and mm-hmm. that's hard. That's harder. But if Klingon takes off to the level that he does – and Castle is, in fact, top 10 pick worthy good, which a lot of people in circles believe he will be. And I, I've watched him practice. I was very impressed. That's the path. That's the path. 
because you're going to have steady presences between Spencer Caravan and Newton, who's a veteran. And there's something about it, guys. When you win at the level that you like, you see this with when we talk about Creighton. When you win now at the level that UConn's won at, where they won a national title, confidence can result in winning. Mm-hmm. It's just there's something infectious about it. There's an expectation now in that building from the guys who were on the title team last year of what it takes to win. You can't you can't quantify that in any stat. And they run really good stuff offensively. They're extremely well coached. They defended their tails off in the tournament. That's my question. Can they defend mm. with a lot of new? Andre Jackson did so Andre Jackson was indispensable mm-hmm. on both ends, but defensively he really was. That loss is is a big that's a big hole. John Fanta, he covers college basketball on Fox as well as I wish we could just keep you, John. the field of 68. <laughs> John, I'm sure we will talk to you again very soon. We much appreciate your time. I'll tell you what. If I'm if I'm in Omaha in person this year and, and you guys are open to it, I would do a show with you. Absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> no full, doubt. full yes. Absolutely. Rubber stamping that thing. Let's do it. I'm, I'm in. And I, can I make a bold prediction before I leave? Let's yes, do it. Always. I said this last night on the field of 68. For the first time in a decade, Nebraska ball will dance this year. Oh, mark that down. John Fanta with the hot take on the way out. John, we appreciate you, man. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks, JF. I'll tell you what. If I'm I'm in Omaha in person this year and, and you guys are open to it, I would do a show with you. Absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> no full, full yes. Absolutely. Rubber stamping that thing. Let's do it. I'm I'm in. And I, can I make a bold prediction before I leave? Let's yes. do it. Always. I said this last night on the field of 68. For the first time in a decade, Nebraska ball will dance this year. Oh. Whoa. Mark that down. John Fanta with the hot take on the way out. John, we appreciate you, man. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks, JF. I am so sorry to all of our listeners out there because John Fanta's segments always go long they do, on this yeah, show. They do. And you probably had some random commercial that cut into yep. that, but we made sure to play the big drop. The hot take. The big hot take. To open this segment so that everybody could hear what John Fanta had to say about Nebraska ball. Yeah, it's it's we love talking to John. It's really hard to stay on clock with him because, like I like I said in the interview, we could keep him for the whole show. And I said and this last night on the field of '68. <laughs> for the first time in a decade, I bet he's going to say something about Nebraska. Nebraska ball dancing? will dance this year. Whoa! Call the John. Um, yeah, no, we love John. We appreciate him joining us. And uh, if you didn't hear, because I'm sure we got cut off on air on AM590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, make sure you go to YouTube or wherever you find your podcasts, and that segment will be up in its entirety um, so you can hear the last couple minutes there with John Fanta. That's that's on us. It's just so hard to stop talking to the guy because he's a, a ton of fun to talk Nebraska to. Nebraska ball will dance this year. <laughs> I think Shane is more excited than, any, think, than anybody. I think Shane is pumped. I'm also pumped to tell you about our friends over at Rockbrook Camera. They are not just about selling you a camera. They're trying to help you become the best photographer and a real photographer, whatever that means for your life. I'm real more of a casual, just capture my memories, that type of thing. 
but and they've got me covered. They've also got professionals covered. Um, we heard Kevin Suits yesterday talk about he bought he's it. Covered. He's covered. He's covered with his uh, purchase from Rockbrook Camera as well. And he mentioned they give you support after the sale. They've got classes that you can learn your new equipment and learn uh, how to use that, some of the latest technology they've got available for you, like mirrorless cameras. You can trade in your old gear to upgrade or check out their extensive rental uh, rental department. Make sure you go to rockbrookcamera.com or check them out at 168th and West Center in Omaha or 17th and Pioneer in Lincoln. I have a question, Ravi. Andrew Rogers. Oh, thanks for calling on me. Yeah. Uh, does Rockbrook Camera sell uh, glasses that also – allow the ability to record you know i'll have to ask um i don't think that's where connor stallions got his oh, uh, for his Kendra? spy gear <laughs> that honestly uh with a <laughs> with the level of uh ineptitude with connor stallions i'm guessing he bought those on amazon uh, or wish maybe it feels like a wish it purchase does, it, it, <laughs> It's deals.com. Yeah, where he's just like, ooh, spy glasses. Love it. <laughs> you know what's so funny about those things? He probably, you know, like the dot that's in the corner that says when it's recording. Because yeah. you can get them off Amazon. I, yeah. I think uh, I think it was Pat McAfee in his show that did <laughs> like got deep em. digging to figure out like where you can get those, those shades. Uh, but the best part is like if you take um, – like inspector gadget or um, I'm trying to who, who's like the worst spy you can think of like not like Cody Banks who's like a <laughs> Disney star uh, but like the worst spy that you can think of Michael Scarn okay <laughs> Um, Michael Scott's alter ego from the office. Yes. So imagine the music that they would use in the office. Okay. Like for something like that, like threat level midnight, like, like, Oh, take, take the theme song of 007 from the N64. Like, so I imagine that being played in his head (laughs) while he's going like this behind coaches. That N64 game was sweet, though. <laughs> that was. That's an all-time great video game, Goldeneye. Goldeneye. Uh, love it. But, yes, I can imagine just in his head him being like, he's like hiding behind yeah. coaches he, and stuff, trying not to get. You know the overhead camera view that showed the, the player running out of bounds? And he's got his head down. down. Like, so discreet. This dude thinks he's sneaky. <laughs> I think he really thinks he's a real life James Bond. I think he does. He's very much like there's if we ever make a movie about his life, I think we need to ask the creators of the office if we can call it Threat Level Midnight. Um you could use like either Triple X from that movie cuz he's pretty bad or Agent Cody Banks. Yeah, well, I brought up Cody Banks, and I... uh, But Cody Banks is a child. It's understandable he's not a good spy. (laughs) This man went to the Naval Academy. (laughs) That's the wildest thing. He was was also a Marine, but he was never stationed overseas. I believe he was only in in California. Johnny English, you could use that. That's the wildest thing about this whole Connor Stallions thing is he went to the Naval Academy. He's not an idiot. Like, you know, those uh, service academies are... As hard to get into as any school in the country. You have to get, like, letters from senators and stuff like that. Like, I know people that have gone to the Air Force Academy, and it's very, same, it's very similar requirements to get into any of them. It's, it's basically like getting into an Ivy League school. Like, it is that selective. Mm-hmm. And so this dude is not an idiot. At least on paper, he is not an idiot. But in practice of trying to be a spy for Michigan football, he seems like the dumbest man alive. 
Like, he seems like Michael Scott bumbling through making a, a spy film. Like, if, if Michael Scott decided to make a football movie instead of a knockoff of James Bond, it would be the Connor Stallion story. What, uh, what did we say? We were, it was after the show yesterday. We were talking about different segments, and we wanted to do a segment on the worst spies in history and where Connor Stallions would rest with them. What if we come up with the name of the manifesto? Do you remember like oh we were talking gosh. about things? Yeah. And it was like, that's the name of the manifesto. <laughs> we both had like this light bulb moment. What what was it? Gosh, I don't I should have written it down. Oh, I don't remember. Oh goodness. You know, we'll probably talk it out. We'll yeah. Probably we'll get figure there. it out. I just I, I can't believe that this dude like wrote a six hundred page manifesto that he updated every day and he was just like, you know what? He didn't think he didn't think like in six hundred pages he didn't think of how not to get caught. Mm-hmm. He didn't think of like, hey, maybe I shouldn't be on a sideline where there are cameras everywhere. Like, I get you're wearing the gear, my guy, but you just never never occurred to you that somebody might see you on camera and be well, like, hey, doesn't that guy work at Michigan? And it's funny, too, because, like, he didn't wear, um, like, Adidas shoes, so he covered up his Nike shoes <laughs> so that he could uh, stand on the sidelines and try to stay incognito. He got probably a shirt from the spirit shop. I do want to know how he got on the sideline. Like, because somebody had to well, issue him that. Well, he had a pass that. on. Did nope. you see that? Right, so somebody had to issue him that pass. That's mm-hmm. what I mean. Or it was a fake pass and he just got through. Yeah. Uh, because I can't imagine Central Michigan yeah. having as strict of guidelines to get onto the field as Nebraska. Sure. I've been to some smaller uh, schools where you know, the security wasn't exactly the tightest in the world where if you had anything that resembled a press pass, they're just like, go ahead. Or any, I'm not I, saying it's like high school where you just walk down to the track and no, you're in. Yeah, right. But I, I'm, I'm guessing that there, there's less scrutiny at Central Michigan than there are other places. Um, I just I don't understand, like, okay, it's probably a better view than the stands, but, like, how much more is he getting from – like cheap like eyeglass camera than he would from the stands with an iPhone <laughs> that actually zooms. You know, like I, I don't un- – I have to imagine the quality is Well, not- that's got to be the only way that you can on the sidelines get away with seeing the signs and stealing sure. the signs. Sure. But what's But he could have seen it from the – like how is that better than being in the stands? It's just funny too because it's it's night. <laughs> and he's like, wearing sunglasses. About it, he's wearing sunglasses yeah. at night. Yeah. <laughs> Like, that's kind of, like, the funny thing to me at the end of the day. Yeah. It's like, not only that he's wearing, like, spy glasses that yeah. you would find at, like, your your neighborhood magic store. Yeah. <laughs> he, does, he does look like he got him at a magic store. <laughs> or, like, honestly, he looks like he got the Michael Scott spy kit. Like, yes. he, he ordered he, I remember going to Barnes and Noble and getting like the magic box from there and thinking that that was the coolest thing ever. Like he went and like dug up a spy kit from some random store and goes, this is going to be the best purchase of my life. (laughs) It's like, this is going to change everything. (laughs) This is chapter 47. (laughs) Of the manifesto. (laughs) Collect spy gear. Take over. CMU infiltration. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Take over Tommy. I just don't I don't understand it. I'm fascinated by it and at the same time befuddled just at the level of like lack of self-awareness to think that you could get away with this. Mm-hmm. I, I and listen, he did for a couple years, so I guess good on him, but I feel like going down to the sideline is that level of arrogance where it's like 
hey, maybe we didn't think this one all the way through. Like, he'd gotten away with it for a couple of years, so he's like, I'm going to kick it up a notch. Instead of just continuing to do the thing that was working, um, unbelievable from Connor Stallions. Just unbelievable stuff there. there there's just there's so many. Did you see, too, yesterday night, um, I think it was Pete Thamel that wrote an article about how the Big Ten um, – had, had a conference call, oh, and yeah. they want Tony Petiti to take action right now and punish because he has that ability. He does. The NCAA doesn't right now. Not yet. But the Big Ten can. Yeah. They are begging Tony Petiti to do something about this. Ryan Edwards coming up next. Let's see if we can make you some money. <laughs> You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Now, Vegas insider, senior handicapper, and fan of the cold Budweiser bottles, Brian Edwards. It's got to be touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Brian Edwards. I don't really love it. Brian Edwards. Boy, they're using the cream cheese to butter the bagel. Brian Edwards. I'm going with the cowgirls. Here is Brian Edwards. Wrapping up hour number two here as we get to our friend Brian Edwards in just a minute. I want to tell you about War Horse Sportsbook. They are the best place in Nebraska to place your sports bets. You can do so at the casino in Lincoln or at Horseman's Park in Omaha, 6303 Q Street. That's right. You can place sports bets in Omaha now through War Horse Sportsbook at Horseman's Park. You can bet on just about every major sporting event, straight bets, parlays, props, live in-game bets, which I, I have would a, know. I have a special weakness for my live in-game bets. Visit warhorsecasino.com slash sportsbook or get the Warhorse Casino app for details and the full list of house rules. Warhorse Sportsbook, no bets, no glory. As we are efforting our friend Brian Edwards here to get to his picks. He's uh, here. We have him, Shane. Oh, great. Uh, Brian Edwards joining us now, Vegas Insider. B, how are you this morning? Good morning, Good morning gentlemen. Sorry for the uh, – I had a little internet uh, snafu there for a moment, but I'm all, I'm all good now. What's happening? Not too much. I apologize. I caught you mid-drink there as you're kind of settling in. Um, was purposeful. You know, yeah, I you're like – You're just a jerk. <laughs> well, pe- many people have said. Uh, <laughs> Brian, I know we've got a uh, crazy – busy slate of games uh especially in the sec with the biggest matchup maybe but maybe a bigger line than people are expecting is that missouri and georgia game mizzou comes in at number 12 in the college football playoff but they are a 15 and a half point dog to the dogs how you feeling about that one b i like um missouri and uh the over i think i'm gonna have a just a small bit more invested on the over just because I, I'm not I don't know what to make a, of last week uh, whether my Gators just sucked that bad or if Georgia's <laughs> decided to crank it up uh, uh, crank it up a level or two Turn now that we've some. reached the stretch run I think it's probably a little bit of both um, but I, I'm still confident enough in what I've seen out of Missouri to like them, you know, and I like all quality teams catching more than two touchdowns, especially when you've had two weeks to prepare like Missouri has, they could easily be eight. and zero. they are seven and one straight up five and three, uh, ATS, all three of their uh, SEC wins have been by 17 points or more. They also have a very quality win over K state. They've only been beaten by more than 10 
once in their last 19 games. So that's obviously relevant with, uh, you know, catching 15 or 15 and a half. They're four and one ATS last five uh, as road underdogs. As for the over, so uh, for, uh, we've got two quarterbacks playing extremely well. The over's on a five and one run uh, for Mizzou. Now their last game went under, but I thought it was mainly because Xavier Leggett got hurt for South Carolina, who I believe was either second or third, no, probably third behind Burden and Neighbors uh, in the SEC and all the receiving categories going into that game. But Leggett got hurt early in that game. And, and then there were six straight scoring drives that all ended in made field goals, which is poison for an over. But, again, over still 5-1, and one, Mizzou's last six. Uh, the over uh, is also hit in five straight for Georgia, combined scores of 63, 57, 64, 70, and 47. 47 being the uh, outlier that would go uh, under this week's uh, number. But, yeah, two – Two good quarterback and Missouri in its last five games has scored on, on its own. That that is 34, 38, 39, 38, and 34. So let's go over and Mizzou. B, uh, I'm going to skip uh, the next game that you sent us and jump into uh, the big one, the premier game on Saturday night, Bama LSU. You like the over in this game, which I was hoping that you'd have a play on this game <laughs> selfishly. It is one of my pickums this week that I have to decide between these two teams, which has been my hardest, like um, my hardest uh, pick of the week at least, uh, because LSU's defense really banged up, uh, especially in the secondary. But that offense is similar to what we saw in 2019 that is just so high-powered. I'm leaning LSU right now just because I think it's a race to whoever scores like 42 or 45 points on their own. Um, and, I, you know, this just seems like one of those games that's going to come down to a last-second field goal um, or a last-second touchdown. Seeing that the over's only in the 60s, this, I think, could even reach into the 70s and 80s. Question number one. Yes, so I, I agree. As for the side, I've been saying for weeks LSU is going to win this game outright, but like you uh, noted, Andrew, the, the defensive injuries, especially Makai Wingo, has got me a little hesitant. I, I, in my little contest I'm in where I have to pick 25 different sides, I'm still going to pick LSU, but um, I haven't bet it yet. So I like the over. Um I uh, got it at 60 early in the week. It's 61 now. That's fine with me. Uh, the overs hit in all eight games for LSU this year. In fact, it's hit in 12 straight and 15 of its last 16. They're number one in the nation in total offense and scoring uh, with a 47.4 points per game average, number three in passing yards, 13 in rushing yards. On the flip side, 91 nationally in total defense and versus the pass, 85 in run defense, 77 scoring D. And that's even with giving Army a bagel uh, last time out. <laughs> and, um, you know, overs 3-0-1 for Bama in its last four, albeit at, at smaller totals. And this is tied for the highest total for Bama. So for Bama standards this year, it's a, a high total, but not so much for LSU. And, um, yeah, I, I think we're going to get a ton of points. Give me the over 60-61. Uh, we're talking with Brian Edwards, our Vegas insider. I uh, want to stick with the SEC for a second here. Ole Miss is a three-point favorite over A&M. It feels like we've kind of forgotten about Ole Miss as they kind of got written off after that loss to Alabama, but maybe Alabama's better than we gave them credit for at the time, and Ole Miss has just continued winning. Uh, wh which side do you like in that Ole Miss-Texas A&M game? 
Love Ole Miss minus three here. They're undefeated in five home games this year, four and one uh, against the spread. The only non-cover was when they were laying double digits and beat Arkansas by only seven. A&M 0-2 straight up and ATS on the road this year. In fact, they've lost now just outright. Not uh, Well, I'm not sure about the ATS, their last eight on the road, but they've lost outright in eight straight road games. It started with a 29-19 loss in Oxford in t- 2021. And again, just Outright, not a ATS. Uh, Lane Kiffin, nineteen and two in his last twenty-one home games, straight up. Um, the only losses by eight combined points to Alabama and Mississippi State uh, last year. I think we've got the better quarterback in Jackson Dart. I think we've got the better head coach. I think we've got, or I know we've got home field advantage. And this number is too small. Give me Ole Miss minus three. Oklahoma State be Oklahoma. Rivalry game. Okie State given six points. You like the plus six. Oklahoma, though, in a position to bounce back after that loss to KU last week. If Even if they still win, you still think Okie State covers? I do. I think Mike Gundy has done maybe his best job ever, which is saying – a lot uh, and going back almost a decade uh, last eight for Oklahoma State as a home underdog uh, they're seven and one straight up and ATS one outright seven times uh, and they've caught fire this year uh, after a rough September uh, they've won four in a row straight up and ATS won by margins of seven or more they're running back Ollie Gordon's been the catalyst in the last two games he's run for 271 282 and uh, a total of six touchdowns in those two games. And then going back, the three prior to that, he ran for uh, uh, 168, 136, and 121 for the season now. 1,087 rushing yards, 10 touchdowns, 7.7 yards per carry average. And uh, Oklahoma's 53 in the nation in run defense. So I think Gordon has another big game. I like Oklahoma State's chances to win outright. Uh, I'll take them plus the points. I, I might get a little plus 190 to plus 200 money line for a smaller amount. B, let's move on to the NFL. Eagles and Cowboys have that rivalry in the NFC East. You mean Cowgirls? Eagles are minus three. Uh, you like the Eagles there? I do, but I like A.J. Brown's over receiving yards even more. I, I, I'm just shocked that they didn't make it higher. Uh, this week, last week was the highest at 88 and a half. He he went over it again. I, I've had it six weeks in a row for winners. He's had 127 receiving yards or more in six straight games, and, and it goes from 88 and a half down to 80 and a half. I mean, I know Dallas has got a good defense, but please, they just love getting beat on this. I, I don't know. I don't understand the odds makers. It's crazy. I mean, I would pay, put it in the low hundreds. You know. 105 at least. Um, so, But I also like Philadelphia minus three a lot. Dallas has been dominant at home, not so much on the road, two and two straight up in ATS on the road. And Philly undefeated at home, six of Eagles, seven wins this year by five or more, all by at least three. And there was talk of Jalen, you know, being banged up with his knee. All he does is lead a comeback last week, 319 passing yards, four touchdowns, no picks. I like Eagles minus three and A.J. over. Uh, B, 45 seconds here. You're back on the A.J. Brown, Kyle Pitts train, huh? Yeah, so I hadn't seen the number on Pitts yet. It wasn't up last night like A.J.'s was. Um, as long as it's – I mean, I'd probably like it to 45 or so. 
Um, but it's probably going to be mid-30s. I like Kyle Pitts over. It might be a three-hour sweat because of Arthur Smith's incompetence. <laughs> but um, Don't worry. You got Taylor has, Heineke now, though. It, I know. I think Heineke will go to him more. And uh, it's been a three-hour sweat two weeks in a row. But the two before that, I've had this four weeks in a row for winners. The two before that hit before halftime. And he can get it on one catch, you know, if it's 40 or less. Mm-hmm. So. Brian Edwards, our Vegas insider. B, we appreciate it as always, and uh, let's make some money this week. Thanks, fellas. Y'all have a great weekend. You're the man. That's Brian Edwards, our Vegas insider. Coming up next, our Husker insider. We've got Michael Brunts from Husker 24-7 here on Herd Out Sports Radio. Let's do it. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Now, as we walk out this tunnel, man, as we walk out this tunnel for the first time in the University of Nebraska, we, we have a pink ribbon on the back of our helmets. And obviously that's that's for all the, the wives, the moms, the sisters that have been affected by breast cancer, man. But it's, it's even greater than that. It's a way for us to honor those in our lives, our mom, our grandmom, our, our girlfriend's mom, our aunt, the people in our lives who have fought for us. Because ain't none of us here of our own accord. Picking you up, taking you to school, fighting for you, taking a second job, battling, maybe keeping you away from the hard things in your life. She took it on so that you could just be a kid. Who is that for you? Who is that for you? Maybe it was your dad. Maybe it was a coach. But, man, they fought for you. They were warriors for you. These women that fight this this battle, they're warriors. I saw it with my mom. Kicking off hour number three here on Herd Out Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula with Andrew Rogers. We are on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, and KFOR in Lincoln. We are joined now to kick off this third hour with our friend Michael Brunts from Husker 24-7. Brunts, how are you this morning? Not bad. What's up? Michael, do you have your uh, Connor Stallions recording glasses on this morning? Uh, I, yes, I do. I, I'm, cur- I'm currently buying tickets to every uh, college football game that I can find uh, right now for listen, my friend. Listen, you got, yeah, for your friend, for, your friend. for what you will pay them to go to on And Venmo, you'll Venmo them pu- and publicly. let them know that you bought tickets to the game. My, my very public Venmo account, yeah. No, you seem more like a cash app guy. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> like I, that's I'm what Connor Stallions would say. I got to write a check and I got to balance my checkbook while I'm sitting there writing. That's how old I am. I can't even remember the last time I wrote a check. Dude, you know what the last? I don't time know if I've ever a written a check. Was? What's that? I was buying soup. <laughs> you had to buy, write a check to buy soup. What happened here? There was a uh, there's a, a great soup place here in uh, Lincoln. Shout out to Grateful Bread, um, and they they don't take cards, but they take cash. And they take checks. And I didn't have cash, but I had a check. <laughs> Wanted some soup. I went. I went and wrote. I wrote a check for uh, for soup, guys. <laughs> so was, was it, it like, junky? Was it like a four dollar check? Like what? <laughs> no, I mean it, this is like good soup. This is like really good. Not not like you know Yevkasem type stuff from Seinfeld, but like good soup. No soup for you. So you got like a couple, you got a couple things of soup. You got some some cheese scones. You got a little, a, a giant giant chocolate chip cookie. So it it wasn't like it was like a seven dollar check or anything. It was it was you needed to write a check. 
Imagine if you <laughs> were in Seinfeld, you went after George, who said medium crab bisque, and Brunts went up there with a check. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if you'd ever I, be welcome back I either. Saying, I think you might have been banned from the soup shop if you were writing the check there, but that's if, so if funny. You guys, if you guys are ever down in Lincoln on Thursday or Saturday, we'll go get some soup, and I'll, it'll be on me. I'll write a check. You guys can watch. <laughs> I think I'll, I'll see myself out. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll cash app you the difference so I can pay for my meal. <laughs> yeah, I'll get you. I'll get you money through Zelle. Uh, Brunts, as we kind of, I guess, turn our attention to football um, instead of checks and soup. Um, we've got Michigan State coming up this week. I know that the coaching staff has said, like, hey, you know, this team is closer to six and two than it is two and six. Um, I'm not. I'm not buying it, uh, if I'm being honest with you, Bruns. I, I don't – is there a couple places they could have got wins that they didn't? Sure. But, I mean, let's be real here. This isn't a very good football team in Michigan State right now. Yeah, they're – well, it, it's I, it's coach speak, right? Like the, yeah. They're not, they're not close to 6-2. Um, they're, they're not at all. Um, but it's funny, though. You look at their numbers, and they're not – Defensively, they're a little worse than Nebraska, but they're not that different than Nebraska numbers-wise. Um, it, it's actually – I was just kind of writing a preview uh, for our Saturday stuff, and it's pretty close in a lot of areas. I mean, they they give the ball away just as much as Nebraska's offense does. Um, you know, they're, they're pretty similar in turnover margin. Uh, they can play a little defense. I mean, to me, this game is so much more about Nebraska. Like – Nebraska's defense is playing really well right now. They they've got you know six takeaways in the last three games. Uh, they're also negative three in turnover margin in those three games, which is it's just mind blowing to me. But um, if Nebraska can take care of the ball, they get a couple big plays. This should be a game that Nebraska walks out of East Lansing being bowl eligible. Um, you know, I, I think this is just another test for this team of whether or not you can stay focused. You can stay, you know, just thinking about the the players across from you, and not, you know, what's what's out there because the the outside noise has gotten a little bit louder on the program. Uh, you've won three in a row and you're feeling pretty good, but um, you know, Michigan State has a few guys that can make you pay if you're not dialed in, and that that's the challenge for Nebraska. I mean, it, it's much more this week about whether Nebraska can keep from beating itself, in my opinion. Bronze, I. I... I mentioned this last week, and I it felt a little weird to say out loud, but I think if Nebraska can keep the turnover margin to minus two, that they're going to win most of these games on the rest of the way out. That feels weird to say because you're like, hey, you got to get even most of the time. You get maybe get plus turnover margin. I feel like as long as Nebraska isn't totally disastrous, they're going to be in these <laughs> games. Like, am I crazy or is that kind of where we're at? Yeah, well, I mean, it's. Nebraska's kind of been a little lucky, right? I mean, with the way that Northwestern game started, I mean, they, they should not have been sitting where they were mm-hmm. after that first quarter. I mean, the, let, let's be honest. I mean, that they were very fortunate that the defense came in and, mm-hmm. um, I mean, kind of did what they've done all year. Um, yeah, I mean, I, a positive turnover margin for this group feels like a big ask. Um, it's a pipe dream at even, this point, right? Like, that's what it feels like. Well, I, I'm just talking week to week. I mean, like, I, I feel like, you know, even you would take that. Um, 
I, I think they've got a. This is a game where it, it's probably going to be a one possession game into the fourth quarter. And I, I think that you know, as, as long as Nebraska doesn't have these like just mind numbing fumbles that you know, even last week, I mean, a couple of them had like Hiram Harbert fumbles when he's basically giving himself up to the play. Like, just get down. Like, it, it's not not uh, heady stuff here. So, yeah, I mean, I, I I think they would they would potentially be in trouble at minus two. Minus one, they'd be okay. Um, if they uh, if they get to zero or close to even the rest of the way with the turnover margin, I mean, look out. You might you might be having to find uh, find hotels in Indianapolis in early December. Bruncey, um, I'm sitting here. You mentioned the bowl game. We're talking about um, kind of like the the shakiness to this Nebraska team, and I. I'm thinking, take any team over the last six to seven years. It, it was the it was the stint from the last bowl game up until you know the potential bowl game that uh, the Huskers are on the brink of securing. This so, uh, where do you think this team ranks among the teams that came six seven years ago? I'm ultimately trying to figure out if this is the most talented of the bunch or if this team's success is also a product of their opponents and not being, you know, in the strongest of conferences this year? Well, I mean, the, the Big Ten West has not exactly been a juggernaut during those six or seven years. I mean, you know, Nebraska was, what, they'd won once against Northwestern in, in Illinois over the last three years um, combined. I think they're one in five against those teams. Uh, similarly against Purdue, they just hadn't beaten them. Um, you know, so that, that the schedule's always kind of been the same. It's just always in my my head kind of been about Nebraska, and you know the the, the conversation for years was, oh, they're so close. This is the best, whatever, however many lost team in America, a three win team in America, or, or whatever. Um, you know, I, I don't know that this team has more talent. I think it's I think it's just being utilized in a a really good way. I mean, I, I could probably go back to, oh, I don't know, maybe the 2019 team. Was that probably the most talented one since? Uh, 19 or 21, probably. Yeah, yeah, that, those were the two I was thinking. I mean, I think that both of those teams are a little bit more explosive on offense. I think they had decent athletes on defense that, that maybe uh, I, I feel like probably could have been utilized a little better. So, um I wouldn't say this is the most talented team. I think this team is really bought in. I think this coaching staff is coaching really, really hard right now. And, you know, I, I think they've finally figured out a recipe and coaching to that recipe to, to win these types of one-score games. I mean, just you go back through some of the games that Nebraska's lost since they've last been in a bowl game, and it's just uh, head-scratching the way that they've done it. I mean, so many of those games you, you had – you know, your defense on the field with a chance to win it, you couldn't do it. I mean, the, the Northwestern game where they go all the way down the field and score and win in overtime. The, the Purdue game where they they kill you on the end around. Uh, you know, the, the, there's just so many examples of those types of games. The, the way they absolutely folded on the road against Colorado. I mean, there, there's I, I think that's the difference with this team is that it's a tough group. They've got a, a, a damn good defense right now, and, and they're playing really good football. Um, and I don't know that that's necessarily a talent thing. Bruns, this is a totally useless exercise, but it's something I find myself thinking about a lot. Um, 
how many wins does either that 2019 or 2021 team have if this coaching staff is there instead? Yeah, I, I, I thought about that too. Um, Way more than I should have, right? Like I, I've spent too much time thinking about that. <laughs> but it's just, I mean, think about even like the the special teams things that bit some of those teams and, and cost them games. Um, you know, if they had just played even in special teams in a lot of those matchups, they probably uh, were a bowl team. I yeah. mean, that, that's just the reality of, um, you know, what they were. And I, I think, you know, I, I think the thing that hasn't changed is I feel like the margin of error has always been very thin um, between, you know, over the last, you know, four or five years. It's just the defense is playing lights out right now. Um, you, you're playing decent enough special teams you're winning the field position battle and you know you you've, you've been able to you know kind of ham and egg an offense and and you're, you're getting it done so it's uh it, it's it's still you know kind of precarious but i, I think uh, this coaching staff's done a really good job of getting guys to buy in and uh using what they've got i mean heck you know james williams is in there for two games and uh, you know most people wouldn't have been able to pick him out of a lineup uh, but before that, uh, that game against Northwestern. Bruncey, in November matters. Those were the words uttered by Coach Rule to his team. Yes, this is a learning experience, but this is what you play for. These are the games you've already prepared for, courtesy of the other eight this season already. How real has it become to you, though, that this team is in striking distance of a bowl game and potentially something greater? Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh... You know the conversation's definitely changed since since we left Boulder. Um, that's for sure. Um, you know the it, it almost kind of felt like the sky was falling a little bit then. And you know they've they've found a way to, despite a lot of things going wrong on offense, injury wise, to make this work. And you know I think that's a credit to to the players, to the coaching staff. I mean that I, I think if you would have you know walked up to somebody walking out of Folsom Field and say that you know by the time this team walks out of uh, or heads to Michigan State, they're going to have a chance for a bowl game, uh, a st- statistical chance of making it to Indianapolis if things break right. Uh, they, they would have told you you're crazy. And, you know, they, they've done a good job, I think, of um, just kind of sticking with the process. I think I think this coaching staff felt like it was going to be a slow build um, through the season and they were going to play better football. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's been a remarkable turnaround. And, you know, I, I, I hear a lot. It's, it's you know, the Big Ten West schedule, it's a bad schedule. Um, it, it's it's the same schedule they've played for the <laughs> since it was Legends of Leaders. So, um, you know, they, they, they're, they're, they're beating the teams they should finally, and I think that's progress. Bronce, you mentioned, you know, the, the way the season started, and I think, myself included, I, I'm not sure I heard anybody project this team to make a bowl game that didn't have them at least splitting those first two games and to now be in a spot where they went 0-2 and now they've won five of their last six is kind of remarkable, um, especially, as you mentioned, considering some of the injuries on offense. I wanted to touch on that offensive line real quickly here. Um, how did you think they played with those uh, three reserves uh, against Purdue as starters uh, on that offensive line? I didn't notice them, and that, and you mean that, that as a good thing, right? Yeah, that, that's a good thing. I mean, I, I think you know with, when you look at the three guys that were in there. I mean, you know, Teddy had, had played a little bit, started some, and you know, Lutowski's been a rotational guy, and 
you know, Justin Evans Jenkins, they love him. They've been trying to get him on the field more. So it, it wasn't the total stretch that those three guys were out there. It was like, you know, somebody that's never played before. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I didn't I didn't notice them. I, I thought they were able to get enough done. I thought that Purdue front was actually pretty good. Um, you know, number four, number five, I mean, they they were a problem all day. Um, and will be for a lot of teams, but no, I mean, for those guys to be kind of called in on really short notice and to play the way that they did, I thought I thought they held up fine. I mean, uh, you know, that that's kind of all you can ask for, and, and that's, you know, the kind of line depth that I don't know that Nebraska would have necessarily had in years past. I'm trying to think of a, you know, th- there haven't been many teams where they probably would be able to go past, like, a sixth or seventh guy, and, and you know, you're – you're basically replacing the entire left side of your offensive line uh, with a week's notice, and they did pretty well, I thought. Bruncey, this kind of goes more toward the rest of the season because I think the opponents uh, that Nebraska plays down the stretch may have an edge over Nebraska in terms of a Vegas line. Uh, but what do you think this team needs to do offensively more going forward in order to feel comfortable in games when they aren't treated as the favorite? Yeah, I mean, I think what, what you need, and I don't, I, don't know if, I, don't, I don't know if this offense is just what it's going to be, um, and, and they are who they are, or if there's an opportunity to you know, change this, but, I mean, you, you just need a little bit more of a consistent run game with the running backs. I mean, that, that's been what this whole season has kind of been asking for. And it's been tougher since you have the injuries to Ramirez Johnson and Gabe Irvin. But, you know, think about that Purdue game. I mean, you, you just needed to be able to turn around, hand the ball to Anthony Grant or Emmett Johnson and trust those guys are going to hold on to the ball and just kind of push the pile. And I think, I think that's the thing that I've been impressed with with Emmett Johnson is it seems like he, he's a patient runner and when he finds a crease, he goes. And I know he had the fumble against Illinois, uh, but he seems like the kind of guy that, you know, you, that you can kind of turn to late in games to, to just kind of go into that four-minute offense and, and choke the game out. I mean, that that, that to me is, is, you know, what's kind of been missing and, and would probably uh, result in some a little bit less stress in the fourth quarter is if you just have somebody besides Heinrich Harburg that you can go to uh, and, and just kind of try to lean on people. Um you know, the offense is going to be what it is. They're going to run some option. They're going to try to get it downfield for a couple deep passes. Um, and and you know, I, I just I don't know what wrinkle is out there that we haven't seen already. Um, so I, I think you just kind of have to work around the framework you have and give me a little bit more in it, Johnson. That's what I want. Mm. We're talking with Michael Brunson of Husker 24-7. Um, looking at Michigan State, obviously the – quarterback situation there is a little bit up in the air we talked to uh, a Michigan State insider earlier in the week he thinks it's going to be Levitt Um, does it matter who the quarterback is against Michigan State it doesn't seem like there's been a ton of difference in what we've seen from the different guys yeah the the young kid that was in there um, yeah he at least has the ability to kind of give you some issues with his feet I think and, and that always kind of concerns me a little bit. I mean, I, I think Nebraska did an okay job of keeping Hudson Card in check last week with his feet, but he was able to scramble around and, and you know, cause some issues. So, um, you know, if, if you kind of have that fear of a guy being able to get out of the pocket on you, it does change how much you 
you rush, how you rush. And I, I, I think Nebraska did a little bit of that last week, was a little bit more conservative with the way that they were doing things in the pass rush. So um, I, I don't think it makes a ton of difference, but it also kind of worries you a little bit too sometimes. And, and you know, as, as a fan of a baseball team that has, doesn't play meaningful games after like May, <laughs> you, you do kind of get a little bit concerned when you've got a young guy in there who's kind of excited to be there and trying to prove something late in the season. Like it feels like a team right now that's kind of willing to kind of play out the clock here, but you know, the, the young guy wants to show what he can do. And I I think that that's a little concerning, even though, you know, you're probably going to have some young guy mistakes and things like that. So um, it doesn't make a ton of difference, but I think a a little bit more of a mobile quarterback does, uh, does bring some different questions into the, into the game plan. Bruncey, uh got about four minutes left. I want to get a recruiting question in, at least the last one from me. Give us the latest on the Husker recruiting trail. While Nebraska's winning on the field, where do you see them winning off the field now, whether it's with a player you think is going to commit or the Huskers are at least winning the race? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're kind of still, you know, in, in wait-and-see mode for a couple guys left in the, in the 24 class. Uh, Grant Bricks is obviously the big one. Um, he was at Nebraska last weekend for an unofficial visit, and that was noteworthy because he had said he wasn't going to make any more visits before uh, he made his decision. Um, he's going to go, I guess, now and, and see Kansas State again and see Oklahoma again. Those are basically the three schools for him. Um, and, and, you know, he's he's the kind of, you know, developmental, talented offensive lineman that, that Nebraska would love to have to kind of wrap, wrap up its recruiting class. He's a four-star uh, lineman, um, really talented kid. So that that's the big one to watch. And, you know, I, I think there's going to be, you know, continuing movement with the recruiting class. I mean, I, you've seen Nebraska pick up a couple commits uh, over the last few months, even though they're at, at like 26 commits now. Um, I People always ask me, how, how's the math going to work on that? How are they going to bring in all these guys? It, it, it'll work out. I don't know how. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to balance the checkbook on that, but I, I think it'll work um, somehow. So, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a, a senior film guy or two pop up still. Uh, they had Larry Tarver Jr., a, a defensive back from, uh, from, from Florida in last week for an official visit. So, they're continuing to look around, and you got to play defense a little bit too with your guys. Certainly, Carter Nelson has a lot of attention still from Notre Dame. Uh, Carlon Jones, the defensive line commit, who I think is you know probably overlooked in the importance of this class, is going to visit Ohio State uh, later in, in November. So, got to play a little defense and, and keep looking for some guys that uh, can help you too. But um, that it's it's kind of focusing down a little bit on the number of guys out there. Bronze, you're uh, headed up to East Lansing with uh, BC this week. Is that right? Yes, we uh, bright and early tomorrow morning. I'll say, what's the uh, what's the itinerary like? You got any you got any leisurely plans before you get to the game? Uh, well, we'll see what kind of trouble we can get into in Detroit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sure you won't have to look far to find it. <laughs> yeah, I know it usually finds you. Um, I, yeah, yeah, it'll, the, it'll be a, a little bit of a circus act. Uh, it's unfortunate the Red Wings, Pistons, everybody's not in town, uh, which is too bad. But uh, yeah, er, er, early kick on Saturday too kind of kind of uh, limits the options. So it's, it's a business trip, guys. Don't forget that. Hey, what's We're going one and zero this week? <laughs> what's BC like to travel with? 
he, he's a good travel companion. Um, he's good on long road trips. He can talk, as you would expect, he can talk about a lot of things. And he has good takes on things generally. We, uh, we're a couple of old guys, so the music, <laughs> music genres kind of line up too. Um, we don't get any get into too many fights about that stuff, so it's all, it's always a good time. <laughs> Favorite uh, late '90s, early 2000s hits? Is that what's going on there, Bruncey? A, a lot of '90s being played in that car. <laughs> hey, you love to see it. That's uh, that's my sweet spot too. Uh, Michael Brunt, we appreciate your time as always. We'll talk to you again next week. Hey, thanks, Brency. That is Michael Brunts from Husker 24-7. Coming up next, we're going to play a little Herd at Hot Seat with my guy Andrew Rogers here on Herd at Sports Radio. You're listening to Herd at Sports Radio. Welcome back to Herd at Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula with Andrew Rogers. Hey there. We are here on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, and KFOR in Lincoln for our hour number three. It is time now for that Herd at Hot Seat. Mm-hmm. All the hard-hitting questions it. that you got to know, sports, non-sports, whatever comes to our minds, it is time for the Herd at Hot Seat. Let's do it. You want to start or you want me to start? Ravi, I'll kick it off. It's an old Let's question. Finish the sentence for me. Okay. Creighton will finish the college basketball season. Mm-hmm. Yes, they will finish a college basketball season. I'm mm-hmm. very confident yep, in that. There's no period. Uh, in the Final Four. Why is that? Because I think they're a little bit better than they were last year. They were in the Elite Eight last year. It's not a huge logical jump there. Um, but but like we talked about with our guy John Fanta, they yeah, did have an easier path once March rolled around. March and we is, saw how the bracket played out. Yeah, March is a little bit of a crapshoot with matchups and things like that. Um, I do think this is a Final Four quality team. Predicting March success is difficult. Um, I do think this is a team that could win pretty easily – just off the top of my head, 27, 28 games. I think the regular season is going to be dramatically better than it was last year for a lot of the reasons that John Fanta talked about. Um, You're assuming health in this situation, Mm -hmm. but um, I I think they will be closer to that. I don't know. I don't remember how many exact games they play this year, but like 27 and 6, 28 and 5, somewhere in that neighborhood, as opposed to taking – you know, double-digit regular season losses. I don't think that's on the table for them this year. And, yeah, I do think this is a team – I think this is a Final Four quality team. I think they're a better fit uh, together than they were last year. I think uh, diversifying the playmaking options in terms of primary ball handlers is a huge benefit to them. Um, even if, in a vacuum, Ryan Nemhard might be more talented than Steven Ashworth – because of the specific skills that Stephen Ashworth brings to the table, I think it's a better fit for Creighton. So, um, yeah, I think they end up in the Final Four. Okay, what if I changed it to they will enter March Madness as what ranking? Uh, top three seed. I think that I think the top, right. top. They win 28 games, they better yeah, be a three yeah, seed. <laughs> at the, yeah, a, a top three seed. So it could be a little better than that. Um, I think this is a – team that'll be in that top 12-ish range in the rankings pretty much all year. 
Um, 12, if they drop below like a 15, I'd be pretty surprised at any point. Um, yeah, so I think that, that translates, depending on how the Big East is and, and how that will impact their strength of schedule. Um, I, I think they're a top three seed in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think Creighton is definitely a Final Four team. I think this is the year that you see Creighton in the finals. Okay, go I, all I, the I'm way gonna, to the final. I'm, I'm going to go all, all the way up. I'm not going to say well, they maybe, win, maybe. Sure. but I think they're going to give this Omaha community a lot to celebrate in March. I hope you're right. I mean, I hope if they, uh, if they make the Final Four that they get like a Bud Crawford-like parade. Like, let's do the whole thing. It's, you uh, look at this team up and down, <laughs> and yes, we talk about it all the time. It seems like the pieces that are in place are a better fit than they were last year. I mean, they may have had a lot of talent on mm-hmm. the roster last year. Awkward but, fits, though. Uh, yeah, it did seem a little awkward at points, and I agree with John Fanta. There were times last season where people wanted just to get their, their shot. Yeah. They, they wanted to, to get their points. And this year, when you have a guy like Stephen Ashworth to start, um, a guy that just facilitates, like that's, that's in his DNA. Mm-hmm. It's, it's to move the basketball around. I remember watching film um, in the offseason. I remember watching uh, different scrimmage film of him. And I remember watching his tape at Utah State. And not only can he score, yes, but his ability to work off a pick and roll mm-hmm. and not think that he has to score when he comes off of that screen, his ability to move the ball when he doesn't have the ball. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is he's not dribbling the ball. Say Alexander's the point guard in this case, and they're moving the ball. They – you're at the top of the key. You go Shireman to the left. Shireman goes back to – goes back to uh, Trey, and he dishes it off to – Ashworth, in this case, on the right wing, Ashworth isn't looking to score. He's looking to feed it inside to Kalkbrenner. He's looking to go one more pass, one extra pass, and find the better shot. That's just kind of who he is. Um, And then the addition of of Trout, too, I think is Mm -hmm. a better fit as well, not only defensively, but also in terms of moving the basketball on offense, not feeling like he has to get his points all the time either. This team has to work more through Ryan Kalkbrenner. I said it last year. I'll say it again. They need him to score 10-plus points a game and have 10-plus rebounds in order to be a winning team yeah I think I'd love it if if he was even a little higher than that if he was in that 15 points you know 15 points 8 to 10 rebounds a game I'd feel really good about that he'll probably have to rebound a little more than he did last year because you don't have a Kaluma there Um, but yeah I I think the I think the pieces fit so much better um, and I think you're going to see just a really cohesive team. I'm, I'm very excited about that. Uh, if Creighton does go to the finals, it will be as a four seed. Oh, you're going four seed. Okay, a little lower. All right, that's fair. I mean, there's not a ton of difference, I feel like, between the three and the four line most years. Um, so you think regular season record, and we can do this next week too, but mm-hmm. ballparking, what do you, what do you think? Like uh, I, I would, I would say 25 to 27 wins. Okay, somewhere in there. So just, we're in the same neighborhood. But it, it, I think it really is all dependent. Their ranking going into March is all dependent on how they play in the Big East tournament. Sure. If yeah. they're a team that goes all the way to the finals, you may see them as get a 2-3 seed. Yeah. If you see them get bounced in the first round of the Big East tournament, well, then you'll probably see them as a 4-5 seed. Sure. If you see them win it, shoot. Creighton could be a one and probably will be a one. Yeah, I mean, if they have the kind of season that 
I think they're capable of. Let's say they win 28 games before the Big East tournament, and then they win the Big East tournament. Like, yeah, you're going to have a hard time keeping them off the one line. Um, all right, my first question for you. Hit me. We were talking Don't earlier. <laughs> uh, we were talking earlier about the power of sports documentaries. What is your all-time favorite sports documentary? Ooh, I know there's a lot of them. I there is. When I was thinking about this, I came up with like six immediately. <laughs> and you know, I'm I'm waiting on two. Okay, I'm waiting on the Cardinals 2011 World Series. Sports okay, I, there's got to be something made about David Freeze. Sure, like, there yeah. has to be at some point. Yeah. Um, and I'm waiting on the Blues Stanley Cup in 2019. Okay, like, those are like big ones. My favorite so far, though. Um, and maybe it's a little recency bias because I've seen it in the last two years. The captain, okay, Derek with, Jeter's. With Jeter. Okay, um, I, I just love how he carried himself as a person and as an athlete. Mm-hmm. And even though like there were moments like off the field where he was put into some, you know, uh, difficult situations as a young baseball player. Yeah, I think he held his own really well, and I think he let his on field. Uh, play speak for who he is as a person and uh, I just really like uh, I really like DJ in that regard there you go uh, one of mine so the Here's is the last dance well so it's up there for sure I love the last dance I, I honestly think my favorite one though is was one of the original 30 for 30 runs that they did with um, with ESPN the one about SMU pony excess about the SMU that's a good one uh, pay for play scandal. Ooh, you have me thinking about another one now too. But go ahead. The I've been fascinated with that my entire life. Like it's one of those things. This is a weird comparison to make, uh, but I hope it makes sense. It's I feel v- the, almost the same way about SMU and Chernobyl. In that it's something I heard about when I was younger, mm-hmm. and I was always fascinated by it. And I never like it. Always felt like wait, there's no way that really happened, or. Like, uh, okay, I understand it happened, but I really don't understand it. I've always wanted to learn more about it. Uh, obviously, so like the the HBO miniseries on Chernobyl provided a lot of that for me, even though I get it was it was fictionalized, but it was a lot of it was really accurate. But the SMU Pony Excess documentary on ESPN was so satisfying because there was so much that I had wanted to know about it for so long. And there just isn't a ton – before that, there just wasn't a ton of information out there about mm-hmm. it except for just general, like, oh, they got the death penalty for paying players. And, like, that was it. But to get into the nitty-gritty of it was phenomenal for me. I loved that. The You had me thinking about, like, one-off things because the captain was a series. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. now you have me thinking about just, like, one film. Mm-hmm. Uh, bad Sport. Uh, which is the Arizona State sure. uh, basketball program. Like, that was just one film about them. Now, Bad Sport was a series, mm-hmm. uh, but that was one about them, and it was their gambling. Well, not really gambling. It was like utilizing NIL before NIL. Yeah. But they were gambling with big sharks in Vegas, which that always ha- – like, I'm always intrigued sure. by stuff like that. And then the uh, – oh, my gosh, it was on the tip of my tongue, and now I just forgot. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. It was a 30 for 30. Football, basketball. I think it was basketball. Oh my goodness. Eh, well, was it the Boston College one? Nope. Oh no, no, no. It was NBA. Malice at the Palace. Oh, that's yeah. Malice at the Palace was really good. That's also one of those other ones where you're like, did this really happen? <laughs> uh, <laughs> we will have more of her at hot seat coming up next. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. You got a long way to go to be as good as your dad. You better keep that in mind. Get that sign and put it down. I don't want to 
see that sign again or I'll clear this out. You got that? Here he lies, deep beneath this veneer of glass. He was a tough guy and he kissed nobody's ass. Wrapping up the show here on a Thursday. Do you guys ever see the uh, the movie on the brink, season on the brink? I don't think so. I'm not sure. That's a that's the Dinahay movie. About oh about no, that. I haven't seen that one. There's a there's a book called Season on the Brink too. I don't know if it's that's what inspired the movie, but um, no, I have not seen Season on the Brink. We'll have to. That's a, that's not a documentary, right? A that's no like a from that's me. a fictional. Yeah, it's a fictional. Based on a true story, though? Yeah. Um, might have to check that out. I hey, do. Benji's a really good documentary. Yeah, so Benji is the one you were talking about. I don't remember if we talked about it before we went off the air. Or I think it air. was right as we got off because um, I started thinking about more. And then I forgot about the I Hate Christian Leitner. That one was good. There was, there's been a lot of good ones. Uh, that first season of 30 mm-hmm. for 30 was stacked. Um, obviously, I love the four days in October uh, covering the Red Sox in 04. Um, some really, really good ones in there. Uh, we talked about there, there's in season two the Marinovich project was fascinating too um, about Todd Marinovich and his uh, very strange upbringing uh, with his dad trying to I saw the uh, the Fab Five one's great yeah I saw the Youngston boys on oh uh, yeah that was with Maurice Claret yeah I yeah, saw that, that on my uh, my like for you page on yeah. on Amazon or on ESPN Plus I should say mm-hmm. and I was like hmm I could watch that but then I ended up watching Vic like I said earlier on in the show yesterday so. Um, yeah, you know, season two though, or volume two probably is more up my speed. Sure, more my speed right now because I've seen more. Yeah, but I haven't seen a majority of the ones from volume one, like you said, Pony Excess. I haven't seen that one's uh, awesome. The, what, which was the other one? Like uh, the U was really good. Not uh, that best one. that never was. Best that never was. Yeah, that one's really good. Uh, Jordan rides the bus is really good. It like focuses really in depth on his time with the Birmingham Barons uh, with oh. Michael Jordan. Uh, and you, you get a little bit of that in The Last Dance, but it's, like, pretty in-depth on it. That was a really fascinating one. Um, there was just so many of them that, oh, Guru of Go was really good. It was about Paul Westhead um, and Loyal Marymount in the 80s. They made this run. I think it was to the Elite Eight on this um, on this really high-powered, like, kind of run-and-shoot offense type mm-hmm. deal. And that you had the – uh, passing of Hank, Hank Gathers on the court during the course of that season. So you have both this Cinderella story and this tragedy in the same season with a guy that coached the Lakers to a, right, an NBA title. Right. That one's phenomenal. Um, without bias, the Len Bias story is really, really good as well. Just a ton of really, really good uh, documentaries there. Uh, so I would recommend all of those if you've got, <laughs> Let, if you've got like three or four weeks to blow. <laughs> <laughs> let's continue with our Herd at Sports. Yeah, what's your number because, two? Because, um, you know, with Bob Knight, you know, being in the news today and yesterday, what do you think Bob Knight would have done mm-hmm. to Connor Stallions <laughs> if he found out he was stealing signs on his sideline? Uh, like if he was in in this case CMU's head coach and realized that hey the guy on his sidelines was Connor Stallions like what do you think he'd do in return? I mean he has choked people out for less so <laughs> I think you have to start. Does Connor Stallions live another day? Bob Knight <laughs> I, found out. I think you have to start there. Uh, I think I'm not promoting or wishing death upon no, anybody. No, I'm Bob not. Knight uh, had a little bit seemed- of. A- 
temper yeah, problem. seemed to have a – well, no, Bob, this is the thing about Bob Knight, right? So Bob Knight was known for his calm demeanor <laughs> and saint-like temper that, you know, he probably would yeah. like, give, him, give him some grace. Incredibly in known for his – I'd res- like to refer to this whole thing <laughs> from start to finish as a real Mickey Mouse operation. That's what he would call Connor Stallings. Gosh, like, but that's would, an insult to Mickey Mouse. I think he would have thrown a chair at Connor Stallions, like, yeah. and, and and hit him. An excellent free throw shooter will have the honor of shooting the technical. Look at here, look at here. Bobby Knight just threw his chair. across the free throw lane. I love how loud the crowd gets when he they throws like, the chair. Let's go! <laughs> Oh, they were well, they, they were jazzed about it. Well, because yeah. they were so upset with the call. Yeah, they were yeah, like so yeah. they were mad about it. They when appreciated. Does, it's it's kind of like when your manager in baseball gets tossed. Yeah, it's like yeah, our over guy, a yeah, call that's yeah. total trash. Like they appreciate that the manager is up as mm-hmm. upset as they are. Yeah, no, I think he would have choked it, but him but out. It, yeah. but it, <laughs> I think he would have choked him out. And would he have been hospitalized? Uh, uh, depends on how fast other people got to Bob Knight. <laughs> That's the that's the million dollar question is how how many other people are around to restrain him uh, before that it gets to that point. Um, let's go. My number two here. Speaking of Connor Stallions, uh, if you, if you were gonna write a Connor Stallion style manifesto, what would your subject be? Like, what is something you care so weirdly about, about that I'd want to take over? That not or not just or just like would want to see them win at that all costs? you could actually dive in like deep dive into that much because six hundred page manifesto is aggressive. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Um, and it can be about anything. It anything. Doesn't it doesn't sports. have to be sports. Anything. What is the thing you care enough about to, to devote an unusual amount of your life to with seemingly no payoff? Because <laughs> that's what we're talking about yeah, here. Yeah, <laughs> really. You're honestly... Because um, he could have had a much more... Like, listen, he went to the Naval Academy. He could have had a much more lucrative career just being a Naval officer. Right. Like, by the time you get to an officer and, like, you make, you make pretty solid money, like... You can you can do really well in the Navy, and he instead chose to be a volunteer for seven years uh-huh. for the University of Michigan, and then finally gets paid like fifty grand a year once they finally put him on staff. Like this dude was doing this for nothing. Yeah, you know, I I have a couple of different passions, right? Okay. That, yeah. that could probably like fantasy, yeah, like fantasy sports. Okay, um, is one fantasy sports manifesto. Um, <laughs> Collecting trading cards. Okay. Like sports cards. Because I love nowadays finding what graded cards are worth and like what are the most popular cards. I like digging through and and finding things like that. People know I love playing video games. Like that could be one. Uh, But if I had to really choose one that would like kind of match up, I'd probably say a manifesto on fantasy fantasy football. The fantasy football manifesto. (laughs) I like it. Um you know, I've actually got at my parents' house a trunk of of trading cards that I collected when I was a kid. I might have to have you. Dude, you, you know, know how long that'll take me to? Like, it'll probably take me three months yeah. to, like, go through, go through it and yeah. look up cards that I think I recognize yeah, before. Because be the problem is with, with sports cards is there's not, a, there's not a book, there's not a site out there that you can, like, go and be like, okay, here are the cards you're mm-hmm. looking for from – 
you know, 1985 and 1986 and 19 like. There's, and there used to be right. They used to have these magazines. It was called Beckett, mm-hmm. right? And they used to. Well, put, Beckett is like one of the premier grading, yeah, uh, or graders of cards. But they would like estimate a value on them, and I used to buy these, and I would just thumb mm-hmm. through these like these hundreds of pages right. of cards. So like now I take like Bo Jackson. I, by the way, was on the first Beckett I, football. I know the Hall of Famers, <laughs> right? Yep. I know the like a rookie card when I see one. Like I yeah. know all that stuff. And they've got so, the like, special edition right. cards. Sure, that are and I know like what card like looks more special yeah. than a one that's probably more generic. So I'll like set cards aside, and yeah. there is a website I type in and like yeah. see like what they sold for, yeah, ungraded like PSA nines, yeah. PSA tens. So like I can do. It's just a lot of work. Sure, yeah. So um, it's a ton. Like it's a ton. And of it's work. funny that you bring that up too, because Ashley had a coworker. Um, that said, like, hey, I collected cards. Like, Andrew can just have them if, if you – or what people tell me all the time is, Andrew, if you look through them and, like, sell them, like, I'll give you a share of the profit. Sure, yeah, I'll but give I'm you like, wait a second, percentage. no, I, I need, if this is Shark Tank, I need 90% <laughs> yeah, of this business. Because you're doing all the work. Yeah, you get 10% of what I sell them for. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, like, I just don't want to take the time and yeah. do that because I hardly had enough – um, sanity to do that with my own. <laughs> yeah. Because I had, you know, 500 to 1,000 or whatever it is. Yeah, that's uh, why I haven't done it. It's just because it's so much work. I've thought about just taking them somewhere, uh, but then you have to trust, like, oh, this guy's not, you know, hosing mm-hmm. me or whatever. But, but I really but. enjoy it. Like, somebody sent me last night his Corey Seager rookie card. It was a Topps rookie card, and it was uh, uh, in good condition. It wasn't graded. But I, I told him I looked it up because I kind of, I, I, I was like, send me the number on the back. I'll look at, into things, and it last sold ungraded. Um, or I'm sorry, graded at a PSA 10 for like 45 bucks. I'm like, well, so now you got to think about it because PSA is what people want. When you send cards into PSA, you have to first be like a member. Mm -hmm. You have to pay a boatload of money to send it in to get graded. And then you have to wait, like because of COVID, it's sometimes a year and like eight months to get your card back. Yeah, get your card graded. So yeah. like it's a long term investment. Yeah. So uh, you have to have cards that are worth it mm-hmm. to really send off for it to be yeah to worth doing the process. Um, yeah, fantasy football. I I don't know. I'm thinking the sports collector <laughs> manifesto. That, you've already you're yeah, already I'm started. Start, yeah, I'm starting <laughs> getting into it. Yeah, <laughs> feels like you've already started. Uh, uh, let's do one more. All right. For you, Ravi, this one is uh, going to be one that, you know, it's going to be great to kind of leave the show with because maybe you'll have to answer it tomorrow. Okay. Would you rather be famous when you're alive and forgotten about when you die or unknown when you're alive but famous after you die? Oh, that's an easy one for me. Really? Yeah. Um, I would – so famous, we're talking about people that don't know you know who you are, Right. Like famous uh, people that don't know you personally, correct? Know like, who you are. Yes. So I don't care about what anyone thinks that I don't know after I'm dead. Mm-hmm. After I'm dead, the only thing that I care about is what the people who knew me, like how I impacted their life, how they feel about me, that right. type of thing, right? So it's very easily the first one because you can you can monetize fame now, like very easily, right? Mm-hmm. With social media and whatever. So. I'll monetize the fame now. If people forget me when I'm dead, that's fine. As long as the people that care about me, yeah, I so, treated well. So for me, like, I want to say I'd be the one that wants to be famous while alive because, mm-hmm. like, you'll get a lot of money. You'll be able to spend a lot of money. Like, you'll, yeah. you'll get to enjoy the finer things in life. But I also think the unselfish route, and if I'm famous when I'm dead, think about what that does for, like, the generations behind that's me. true. And, like... 
you know, for example, Arnold Palmer was famous, yes, when he was alive, but or he's got a legacy. Yeah, he's yeah. got a, those that have legacies. Yeah, you know, I'm just thinking about like legacy people mm-hmm. and how that impacts grandkids and further generations. That's true.